I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. On today's episode, Ben Elwood and I finally continue our latest season of Deep Dive Directors as we return to the world of David Lynch and his neo-noir mystery thriller, Blue Velvet. My name is Justin Hamilton, and I don't know if you're a detective or a pervert here at Big Squid. Finally returning to our David Lynch series with Blue Velvet today. I've been sitting on this episode for, I think it's about two months actually, and I am wrapped to finally produce it for you. Between our last minute decision at the end of last year to cover all of the Matrix franchise, and then there was Christmas, and that just kind of got in the way of everything. Christmas is very good at cock-blocking podcasts. That's what I have discovered over the years, and it just did a really good job this year. So we had a little bit of time off, and then uh, we are slowly getting back into the swing of things. And let's be honest, it's been way too long between drinks for our David Lynch series, and uh, I <laughs> can't remember who it was on Twitter. Someone suggested it was Big Squid's Chinese Democracy A very funny reference if you remember the Guns N' Roses album, but here it is. We got there in the end, and uh, I'm wrapped and pumped for you to have a listen. Before we get into it, though, we have a little Ben Elwood Festival right here this week. On Thursday, Ben is joining me to discuss his brand new podcast, Thank God for David Attenborough. And not only are we chatting about the origins and goals of this new series, but we're also going to be sharing a good-sized preview of one of the episodes keep an eye and an ear out for that on Thursday. That's produced by our friend Sean Allen, a super talented audio producer, and uh, he worked with Ben and Cam on the uh, Why Are Cats series. So if you're a fan of that and uh, how textured 
that episode and that series was, then you'll know that you'll be in good hands. Now, if you're also a part of the Big Squid Patreon page, you will also be receiving a bonus podcast, which is the pilot for his David Attenborough series. So basically, it was Ben experimenting and running through what he thought the podcast was going to be. So that kind of happens. You'll kind of think, okay, I'm going to do this. It's going to take this shape. I'm going to uh, see where it goes. And then uh, he recorded a few episodes, I think. I'm not too sure how many he did, but um, he just decided, oh, no, 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 I'm going to recalibrate and go in a different direction. So I have all the audio from the one that we did together. And it is an important part of the building block uh, that goes into the creative process, if you know what I mean. So I've had a listen to that recording uh, just over the weekend. It can be enjoyed as a one-off podcast, but it can also be looked at as an insight into how a new piece of work can develop and flourish into something new. I'll upload that, I reckon, on Friday, just in time for the weekend, so you can have a listen to the one that goes out normally, and uh, you'll get the preview, and then you'll get to hear uh, this uh, previous one on the Friday. Uh, Also this week, I'll be uploading part two of the original Big Squid scripts, which covered the Watchmen HBO series and graphic novel. I reckon that will go up on Wednesday for you. I've decided that the first three Watchmen scripts will be available to the public. So if you're curious to know what you might find on the Patreon site, you can head over there and you can check it out. It's free. You can have a look at uh, uh, just one of the things that you get behind uh, the uh, Patreon wall. Uh, As you also might be aware... All of our Patreon subscribers have an episode of Big Squid dedicated to them. And this week, our patron shout-out goes to Monica Sonson, a fellow South Australian who recently inspired me, actually, to daydream about returning to Adelaide to buy the Piccadilly Theatre in North Adelaide. Yes, she told me that it wasn't open at the moment. It kind of made me really sad. And it just is a bummer because it's such a beautiful beautiful venue and then I started sort of daydreaming thinking oh my god imagine going home and you know taking it over putting on specific movie nights having live performances there and you know I love that uh, I love that venue so much it was one of the first cinemas that I can remember going to as a kid I think I saw no I definitely saw Star Wars there I definitely saw Battlestar Galactica they, uh, what they did was the American TV series, that I think it was the first two episodes, uh, the pilot, and also Mission Galactica, the Cylon Attack, they jammed them into movie-length uh, uh, productions, and so I saw them there at the Piccadilly, I also saw 2001 A Space Odyssey there, I saw Fantasia, I saw Life of Brian, yes, I saw Life of Brian at, uh, at the Piccadilly, so... That would entice me to return to Adelaide. And the only thing that's holding me back is I need all the money in the world to commit to such a venture. So, uh, you know, are there any sweet, super rich, big squid listeners who would like to fund such a venture? That would be nice. Uh, If you are chock full of the cash and want to partake in something like that, you can contact me direct here or let Monica know then Monica can get in touch with me and, you know, we can do this together. Anyway, thanks for being a great supporter for the podcast, Monica, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Right. Now, let's catch up with Jeffrey 
a smart yet naive young man who returns home to visit his ill father. Walking home from the hospital one day, he discovers a severed ear discarded in a field. Little does Geoffrey know, but this discovery will lead him down a dark path where he will discover a horrifying criminal beyond his imagining and a beautiful yet troubled lounge singer he can never really understand. Get out your gas mask. We're about to enter the world of Blue Velvet. A candy-coloured clown they call the Sandman Tiptoes to my room every night Just to sprinkle stardust and to whisper Go to sleep, everything is alright I close my eyes Then I drift One name that keeps coming up is this woman singer. The first thing I need is to get into her apartment. I don't know if you're a detective or a pervert. Do you like the way I feel? Before I started uh, recording, Ben and I were having the closest thing we've had to an argument, which was me wanting to pay him money and him not wanting to accept money. And it was... Um, I feel like we came n- to a good resolution. No, no, it was good. No, it wasn't even really an argument. But it was a, it was a very funny thing because normally it's... In this industry, it's more yeah. like, where the fuck's my money? Yeah. And this is like, I'd like to give you some money. And you're like, no, I don't want it. And it's like, well, I want to give it to you. But well, yeah, but I don't need it. And it's that's, like, the yeah. that's the difference between collaborating with uh, dear friends. Yeah. Who you are, uh, it's a pleasure to collaborate with and working for some piece of shit who runs a pub who's <sighs> offering you two drink tokens while they're making $1,000 on the door. So many fucking assholes. So many assholes. <laughs> I hate that <laughs> shithead who uh, maybe, can can I get, can I get to... Def- uh, sued if I point out who the shithead is. Well, it depends who it is. It depends if they've got the uh, means to sue you. But they'd have to prove in a court of law that they're not a shithead. Is that <laughs> is that how it works? Australia's defamation laws are the um, strongest in the world, so be careful. Oh, but please, okay. you can mouth it to me. No, uh, so there's a gig on a Friday, Saturday night. Oh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, and he's an arsehole. He's a fucking... <laughs> Shit cunt And uh, oh, Someone remind me That I'm going to have to Put up a warning uh, For this Because <laughs> I'm not going to Take that out But uh, <laughs> He He charges you yeah. In his shitty Fucking room yeah. For soft drink and Really? It, yeah And it's like And it was Outrageous. like $4 or something Or $5 And it's like A I'm headlining For much less Because yeah. it's a small venue And the person who books it I quite like mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, You know Like I'm not like, I'm not trying to take advantage of your fucking soft drink, mate, but it's fucking soft drink. 
Anyway, I've got a great. I won't perform got, there anymore. I've got a. I've got a great story. It was many, many years ago. Uh, a guy. Uh, I can't remember his name, so I won't say it. I do remember his name, but I don't want to say it. Uh, he was running a gig at I think Paddy Maguire's. Uh, yeah. In the city. Yeah. And um, there's two great moments with this guy. First off, he um, held a gig where he told all of us that we were being paid and we'd get a meal and drinks. Yeah. Like, yeah, great. Sure. Yep. I mean, I'd work for drinks, whatever, yep. like sometimes. Uh, and so we turn up and he starts doing all the hem whoring and the umming and ahhing and like, oh, why, why, why there's no money? Yeah. But don't worry, there's still a meal. And when he said a meal, he wasn't joking. He brought out a single steak for seven people with a knife and a fork. <laughs> that that is phenomenal. <laughs> it was the kind of chutzpah that you couldn't even be angry at him. It was just so no. outrageous. Yeah, you know, and we were, and we're all like going, you, you, "Are you fucking kidding?" He's like, "What? What? I said a meal. I said a meal. Like, yeah, all right, like, nice legalese, nice literal definition of a meal." But there's seven of us, and we're all what? We got to all huddle around this steak, cutting off little chunks while we're in the fucking depression. But also, like, I'm more offended that he doesn't at least appreciate the humour in what he did. Yeah, of course. No, he was... A, so the second, this leads into the second story. Um, Will probably doesn't remember this, but um, so this guy emailed Will one day and goes, hey, do you want to come and do my room? And Will is always very polite. He never ghosts anyone. He always replies. Yeah. Uh, and he sent... A, I mean, I paraphrasing this was fucking a decade ago but sent some email back just going like um nah like sorry i'm really busy that night da, da, da. uh and the room booker sends back going oh but I'll, I'll i'll pay you 50 bucks uh and will sent back another polite thing just kind of going well you know with all due respect you know i've got a gig another gig that night and yeah this is this is what Paying i actually make. yeah exactly yeah. uh and this guy sends another email to will just railing just going like you don't even know the opportunity that you've turned down oh yeah 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 you don't know the opportunity you've turned down because that, patty mcguire's with yeah. the fucking racing on the tv screen in the background motherfucker these fucking assholes <laughs> So, uh, also, just for a heads up, uh, uh, I'm in a mildly dark mood because my poor mum's cat got put oh, down no. yesterday, and that's all very sad. And then, But what that means is stories like this just bring out a fucking level of anger, don't they? <laughs> it's like, Jesus, why wasn't it you that was put down? Anyway... <laughs> If I if I if I was if someone said that that guy that charges five dollars for fucking soft drink is going to be put down and Mum's cat can live another five years, I'd go, oh, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Death comes to all. Yeah. Once again, your eyes have turned completely black. Yeah, 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 yeah. Once I turn, I I turn forever. Yeah. Um, how'd you go with the before we get into everything properly? Yeah. Uh, uh, so we spoke briefly the other day and you said yeah. you were kind of struggling with the film and then you uh, you said something to me which was interesting because I didn't know this and you said it's never really been one of your favourite Lynch films. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So, so w w when did you first see the film and like and just kind of fill in the gaps? It's interesting. So I reckon ugh, I reckon I saw this for the first time oh, more than a decade ago. Right. Didn't care for it. Went and saw it again at the uh, New South Wales Art Gallery. Yeah. They do great. Um, they have great curators there and put on a three-month program yep. every quarter. Uh, and again, just 
didn't do it for me. Right. So why? why? I don't know. I, I, I really, I really couldn't tell you. Yeah. Why? Interesting. Th- there is an arc to this. Mm. Uh, uh, just it just didn't. Yeah. I, I think all those people who are anti Lynch, I think that was the film where I got what their criticism was where it's right. just like uh i don't know like maybe it's maybe i feel like it's trying too hard or maybe the acting's off or whatever whatever it was i just couldn't right. I, I mean i thought the, the whole dennis hopper thing was terrifying and hilarious yes. and all that yeah we'll really dig into yeah. the the thin line between horrifying and hilarious oh, yeah, yeah, yeah um and then i chucked it on the other night which is unusual for me. I usually watch our films either the night before or the morning that we record. Uh, and I got an hour in and I turned it off, which is, again, very unusual for mm. me. I just was not... Not feeling not it? Not feeling it. Yeah. And then I put it on last night. From the start? or From, from the where start. You stopped? From yep. the start, of course. And I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. How funny. Yeah, um, and, and I think that's because I think for the first time, I whether, whether whether what I believe it is about is what it is about. For the first time, I got to the end and I go, oh, I think I know what this is about. Right, right. Well, what it means to me, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Well, uh, I had a. Uh, I've I've always enjoyed it, but this uh, this watching of it was the most I've enjoyed it. Do you think that's because it's off the back of kind of marinating in his world? Maybe I think I think maybe the podcast brings out a good side of me because yeah. I'm watching it more intently and kind of looking for things. Looking rather, for I'm probably engaging uh, more obviously rather than just sort of sitting back and letting it come to you. Yeah. Can, uh, can, I, can I say I think having these conversations with you every week uh, for the last year plus has made me a better film watcher overall. Oh, yeah, same for me. I yeah. really think it has. Yeah. I think just not kind of just passively watching and yep. actually remembering little callbacks and yep. looking for meaning where maybe there isn't or whatever. Yeah. Mm. It's a strange, strange film. But you know who yeah. I came out of this viewing of having a completely and utterly new appreciation for mm. is Laura Dern. Yeah. Like, so I always... It's not like I didn't think she was good before, but there was something about her performance in this where for the first time... The even though she's not the main character, for she feels like the center of the movie for me, and I had not had mm. that experience. And having her as the center of the film sort of made it more enjoyable. And and everything from uh, and once again, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but everything from her first appearance out of the dark mm. to her her dream to her reaction to Dorothy being naked to the to see to her reaction to Dorothy singing to the slapping of Jeffrey to where they end up at the end and yeah. it's like oh yeah her character is uh, like she's like the moral center of the yes. story and and it doesn't mean there's more layers to her than I probably wasn't smart enough to realise in the past. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I think moral centre is the, the the right way to put it. There's a uh, there's a compassion and uh, and a grace in her that yeah. maybe isn't in a lot of the other characters in this. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 definitely. And it's uh, yeah, it's a it's a really really wonderful performance from her. And you know, once again, getting ahead of myself, she's eighteen. 
Really? Yes. Whoa, I didn't know that. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, wow. and that, that even, like, realising that afterwards was like, oh, my God, like, she's bringing such yeah. maturity to this performance. And, you know, there is that weird aesthetic to Lynch where I think really early on you're like, these actors are terrible. And then you're like, no, 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 this is how he wants them to yeah, act. And yeah. the pitch is correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I think she's... Uh you know, watching it this time, it was like she is maybe the only character in the film who sees the darkness and isn't subsumed by the darkness. Yeah, she and she recognises Recognize it. it. Like, and she might not be. It. Yeah, she might not yeah. be able to articulate it, yeah. and you can understand why she gets very much caught up in it. Mm. And but she's the one who expresses regret for bringing it up with Jeffrey yep. because to her it's like oh this is weird isn't it so, yep. and then he's he's someone who wants to act upon it mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. anyway mm-hmm. Uh, interesting interesting kind of experience with it uh, when you when you first look up anything about uh, Blue Velvet there are specifically describing what the movie is mm. and it's constantly described as a neo-noir mystery thriller and a psychological horror <laughs> but what huh. no one puts comedy and it's <laughs> and i once again i feel like this is a very typical refrain in our series of podcasts yeah. where i say this is one of the funniest films around and why is anyone else not finding it funny when was the when was the first time that you laughed in the movie because i know specifically when it Wait, is for me on this viewing well, yeah, yeah. Oh, when the dad collapses and he's, he's the hose is where his penis is and he's spraying God, water and the dogs and the trying dogs to trying to eat it all. <laughs> like it's really funny. It's really funny. Like it's a terrible moment for the character, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's also phallic. Oh yeah. I mean, it's it, yeah, it is. It's hilarious all throughout. Yeah. Dennis Hopper. I saw an interview with him where he's saying he took his lawyer to the premiere. Yeah, and everyone was sitting there shocked and harrowed, and his lawyer was howling for yeah. the first minute. He's going, "That <laughs> yeah. was the funniest movie I've ever seen," and yeah. everyone was like, "You're insane." Yeah, no, but it is funny, <laughs> yeah, it and is it's funny. the uh, so for so my the moment that I first kind of chortled. Yeah was just before that, and it's the fireman. Oh. The fireman waving, <laughs> and it's so... It's like, it's funny, and it's creepy, yeah. and they look like automatons, yeah, and yeah, yeah. it's just so... They're kind of blank, even though they're smiling, so I laughed at that, and then... Because the start, you know, with the the opening music, the colour, mm. the font, they're all perfect, then you get the... Fireman, and then it's the you know the stroke is acted out with the hose, <laughs> like just in case you don't quite understand what's happening. Yeah, the yeah, hose yeah. shows you what's going on on the inside of being stretched and oh, scrunched, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then as you said, like the dog looks like he's trying to give him head through his hose while he's fucking writhing on the ground. <laughs> and that baby tottering around in the background, like oh the whole God, thing's just it's... you know. And then and then in perfect perfect Lynch uh, style, you go from like howling with laughter to literally. 30 seconds later, wanting to puke as, as the camera goes underground and all the worms oh, and the ants are the writhing bugs. everywhere. And it's like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. And, well, horror and um, horror and comedy are like they're... Yeah. Like, when you talk about them, they're such distinct uh, kind of intellectually, diametrically opposed emotions, mm. but the, the reaction is a very similar thing, which oh, is absolutely. taken by surprise, yeah. 
involuntary reaction. Yeah. Laughter, screaming. And yeah, then with absolutely. this, it's, <laughs> you're bouncing back and forth. Like at the end, of, like I had a really good time with the film, but yeah. at the end of it, it's just like, right. Yeah. I'm going to eat a quarter of a pot cooking and go to bed. <laughs> and I did. And I had a nice yeah. nine nights. So you didn't have the quarter of cock, pot, pot cookie for the movie. No. No. Like, too much. John, no, too much. <laughs> it's like, you know, I'll do it for food. I did that uh, recently. I had a, a, a friend. I had a friend who I was meant to go out to dinner with, and then they told me they had a family. Uh, they had a friend's kid's birthday, but it was all yeah, yeah, the friends yeah. turning up. And I said to them, "Let's just cancel dinner because I know what's going to happen." Mm-hmm. And I don't say this as a smart ass. I say this from experience, where I've been on the receiving end, and I've also been the asshole, yeah, right? Course. Where yeah. You're having a good time. You just kind of lose track of things. Suddenly, you're hammered trying to go to somewhere else. Yeah, and, yeah. I, and they said, no, 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 no that's not going to happen. And then uh, our dinner was at 8.30. And it's a really uh, now in Surrey Hills, really expensive yeah, yeah, place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, and the, the reason we booked it was it's our favourite place to go and we couldn't go there for months and months yeah, and months yeah, and months yeah, and months. Yeah, sure. So, cancelled at 10 to 8. And it's just like, if it was... Like, it, if it was genuinely 20 minutes earlier, that gives me an hour to just ring yeah. around and say, hey, I'm going to the Spencer. I'll pay for it, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so I didn't have that. And I thought, sorry, this is a very roundabout way of saying I thought, fuck it. So I a quarter of a pot cookie. <laughs> I went there. I ordered a nice glass of Pinot Noir and I ordered the food. And, the, and just before the food came out, everything went widescreen. <sighs> and I went, well, here we go. Yep. And the food was delicious. <laughs> the wine was fantastic. And the very nice young waitress who was 19, like just a nice kid. Yeah. I gave her a $125 tip <laughs> because I was like, I'm going to make this night positive and if i can make this night positive by giving a young person a tip that's extraordinary yeah great it's great had a good time so any young waiters or waitresses out there just ply hammo with a pot cookie before he eats you will get a quarter not too much not even that much no 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 i just want the taste to be delicious and i want the inhibitions to be dormant (laughs) and that little golden sparkle that comes oh yeah it was so good and then i um and I also paid it and left immediately. So I, I didn't even want her to thank me. I did not want there to be any confusion. Then no accolades. Other than, no, I just want you to have the money. That is... Do you remember when we went to uh, Morrison Con uh, yes. in Las Vegas? Yes. Uh, into, God, fuck. That was like a lifetime ago, 2012. That's my 40th. Was that it your 40th? That was my 40th birthday. Really? That was my... 40th birthday That was so thing. like Because I think you, you and I hadn't um, Hadn't spoken much Before that And I think that was Our big kind of like we, we, Yeah yeah I just hadn't seen off. you Yeah 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 it was, just, I, it was around the period Where I uh, it, it was around the period Where Everything got more expensive yes. But gigs stopped paying Properly That's right And so therefore Because I used to be up In Sydney Every couple of months, seeing you and Sam yeah, Bowring, yeah, 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 yeah. and and you could do like two weeks of gigs, and it was when you could it was do worthwhile. 
yeah, like I could come up here and like make three grand over two weeks because I'd do daytime uni gigs That's and all right. that. But then all of that contracted and then suddenly it was like, oh, now I'm a Melbourne comedian. <laughs> I, do, I do remember <laughs> that know? feeling of great. It felt like a great reunion suddenly being in the hard, the hard rock cafe yes. hotel in Las Vegas. Yep. Anyway, long story short, we went, we had these great three days of going to panels and, yep. and meeting Grant and all this yep. thing. And then we were eating breakfast on yep. the final day and we yep. saw him at a oh, table. Yes, yes. Do you remember this? With his wife. With his wife. And we called the waiter over and paid his bill and then left... So that we wouldn't, uh, so it wouldn't be confused as yeah. some kind of you know thing. Just so it would seem like a an act of magic that when he yeah. went to pay, they'd go, "No, it was taken care of." By who? Oh no, they've already left. Yeah, it was some <laughs> Aussie guys. That's you, I, I would much rather that you know because yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Anyway, <sighs> blue velvet. Second question. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, this is uh, it, it's such a beautiful start, and I think it's a very funny film. The uh, the other thing that he does that makes me fucking laugh mm. like so much, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but since we're talking about laughing, is when out of nowhere he does the chicken walk, <laughs> and it's so weird, and it 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 not only makes like it's so weird, but it kind of makes me. I think that was the moment that I really loved Carl McLaughlin. Yeah, like because he, like his commitment to it's great. Yeah, but then. Sandy, where's the line? I've, I'm not going to get it quite right, but Sandy... <laughs> so he does the chicken walk and uh, then <laughs> Sandy's direct quote is, that's kind of interesting, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is really funny. But it also reminds you that they're young people. Yes. You know, yeah. that, they're, that they're, they're not yet at that point. In life. And I think that's very important for his character in particular. Absolutely. That they are not yet at that point in life where they're taking themselves too seriously yeah. life too seriously they're still willing to make a bit of a goofball of yes. themselves um you know and even the way he kind of after he does it he kind of puts his arm around her but it's not in yeah you know because he immediately takes it off again it's almost like pal yeah with aspirations for something more yeah it's, it, you know there's, there's a real innocence and kind of um wholesomeness to it yeah it's like the grown-up version of the punch when you're in primary school, you know, punching yeah. the person that you like, it's a bit like, yeah, yeah. He puts his arm around, then he's a bit like, I don't know if I should do that. I don't really know what I'm doing in yeah. this situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of a beautiful moment of reminding the audience, because, you know, I, I don't think either of them come across as teenagers in this. Like, uh, Carl McLaughlin... Oh, he's coming back from college. So, no, I know, so no, he's a young man. And, he's a young and man. She's he's got like, I think Carl McLaughlin's always had... I mean, I think it's the reason he was able to play Dale Cooper at such a young age. Yes. He has... Uh, I don't want to say maturity, but there's something older than his years yeah. that about him. Even yeah. the way he looks, like yeah. he doesn't look like he's not all kind no. of chubby cheeked and young looking. Yeah, you know, he should be. Say, he should be in uh, 1950s black and white movies. 100, 100. Yeah. Um, and so I think to have that moment amongst you know this kind of encroaching darkness that's. They're in the peripheral, but yeah. it's about to come right into the foreground is yeah. really important in reminding you what I believe this movie is about. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, so much. We'll, we'll, we'll get to more about yeah. uh, all of that in a sec, but uh, you said something to me uh, in, in that brief chat the other day that uh, I, you know, when you've been thinking something and then, but you haven't articulated it mm. and you haven't written it down and then someone else says something to you and you're like oh yeah yeah I had been thinking that which mm. was it it does feel very much like a dry run for Twin Peaks oh yeah come on yeah logs yeah 
Red curtains, yep, electricity. The, the 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 style of acting. The style of acting. The you know. Oh yeah. The Battlemente. Yeah, something Angelo like Battlemente score. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, it 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 almost felt like the pre-pilot episode of Twin Peaks. Yeah. They're going to the diner. Yeah. It's you know it's Lumberton logs logs logs. Yeah. In 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 a like if if it turned out like this would be terrible. But if it had turned out that Jeffrey Beaumont went into the witness protection scheme to get away from Frank Booth's and then got a sense of justice and changed his name to Dale Cooper, you'd go, yep. Yes, totally. Yep, that makes sense. Well, for me, it almost felt as though the entire world of Blue Velvet exists in the same realm as the Red Room in Twin Peaks. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's... Yeah, there's some fucking... Jesus, look at the hairs on my arms. Yeah. Shit's off. Yeah. And and that that really... I mean, this is a real deep-cut nerd fucking observation. You're at the the right podcast. Yeah, but but it really struck me in the moment when they're at the... Is it the Slow Club? Yeah. When you're when the camera's outside the slow club, and I don't know if you notice, every time the wind would blow, yeah, um, paper would yeah. fly through. And I don't know if you remember in the in the red room, yeah, there's um, that exact same shape of paper blowing is shadowed in the curtains. Yes, it's the, the, the yes. paper keeps flowing, yes. and that was in the, that really struck me of like, oh, this oh, is yeah, this I hadn't is the thought about that, room. but yeah, 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 so good. Yeah, it was. Um, it really made me excited for Twin Peaks. Well, like that's I, next, right? Yeah, yeah, but I was looking forward to it anyway, but yeah. just kind of going, oh yeah, we're really getting a taste of this now. Yeah. Uh, we begin the Bugs motif very early, a warning that underneath the Reagan-esque ideal of sub- suburbia, something ugly and alien lurks tantalizingly close to the surface. Mm-hmm. Um, once again, I, I'm curious, what's your relationship with the suburbs? Oh, I, I, I fucking hate them. Yeah. Because, well, first of all, I don't, I, I think that the bugs lie under the surface of everything. Yes. Not just suburbia, yeah. but it's 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 uh, it's manifestly more disturbing in suburbia because of especially that white picket fence, yes. red rose style of American suburbia, where it is the abject denial of yeah. of this reality, and ultimately. The denial of that reality is what's going to fuck you up yeah. real bad. <laughs> like, yeah. you can't deny your demons. Yeah. And you can't deny the darkness of life. And ultimately, I think that's what this film is about. I think it's a young man getting to that age where he realizes, fuck, the world is kind of dark and yeah. fucked up. Yeah. And how he has to integrate that knowledge yeah. into himself and yeah. come to terms with it and come out the other side. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a journey that everyone has to go on. And ultimately, if you don't go on it, um, you're, you're going to get really messed up. Yeah, something's going to take you by surprise at some yeah. point. Yeah. Uh, you know, I loved where I grew up in Adelaide in uh, West Croydon. It was a very beautiful place. And, uh, um, you know, I have a you know pretty happy childhood mm. for the most part. I reckon any kind of sadness or whatever, you know, just came from being a kid and yeah. growing up and learning stuff, etc. Uh, but there was a... Um, it's funny, this is going to sound really dismissive, and uh, but it kind of summed me up more when I was younger. And uh, it was... I, I had this craving to get out of the suburbs oh. because it felt like... The world was out there and there was... It's not necessarily like I even was really thinking about 
necessarily travelling. It was more an emotional escape. And uh, I had this feeling, and I used to describe it, and this is where it's a bit cruel, but I used to describe it as wanting to escape from the suburbs of mediocrity. And it is... You know, now that I'm older and more mature, I just realise it's a different life choice. But yeah. if, but to me, it was really claustrophobic as a kid, and I wanted to. It's funny. You, most of your friends, you know, they they've got their friends and they want to hang out with them forever, and you go over each other's homes and all of that kind of stuff. And yeah. there is absolutely nothing wrong with that, but it made me feel uh, confined. Yeah, and I've pushed back against that all totally. of my life. So I, so. All of that felt very yeah. <laughs> terrifying to me. Also, while I was laughing, I think I think I think the thing that again, and there's no judgment on this. If if you know, I, I, we've talked in previous podcasts about kind of wishing that that type of a life was a desirable outcome because mm. uh, it's a lot make more life f- easier. Oh man, it's a, it's a lot. It's a lot fucking more traumatizing pinwheeling through life and not knowing what the fuck makes you happy. Yeah. Uh, but. Uh, that version of suburbia where everything's perfect and yeah. keeping up with the Joneses and yeah. all that shit. It's not just the claustrophobia of the surroundings. It's the claustrophobia of uh, being very limited in the states of mind that you are able to express. Yeah. So I found that I didn't, I mean, I never really grew up in suburbia, but I was in suburbia a lot because yeah. that's where my friends were. Uh, and the range of, emotions was basically happy angry that the footy team didn't win and pissed yeah and virtually anything outside of that was met with oh calm down tiger yeah or you know oh, tell us what you really think uh, or whatever it was and i felt this kind of like crushing like i get it i'm a lot <laughs> and i and you know oh, yeah I, and i rant and i rave and i bang on and rah rah yeah. rah but to not even be afforded the opportunity to do that and to be constantly met with, you're weird, you're an aberration, yeah. uh, you don't fit into this um, model of reality that we've constructed. Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't find any comfort or my people until I was, you know, well into my 20s. Yeah. When I kind of moved into um, the inner west of Sydney and was just around more kind of freaks and weirdos. Yeah. Um, th- 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 I think that's what's crushing for for people who who you know who maybe feel depressed or whatever yeah. and, and and you really see that in that 50s eisenhower um uh, mode of reality uh, i think there's that rolling stone song mother's little helper yeah you know yeah mum's basically fucking valiumed out of her head so yeah. that she can stand wearing an apron and making a cake yeah and, <laughs> yeah everything's great so yeah. not, no, no, if you have to be medicated, everything's not great. No, no. But especially in that, um, in that time period, there was no um, license to say, hey, you know what, I'm not fucking coping at all. Yeah, yeah. This is awful. You know, uh, so two things off the back of that. The one is uh, dear friends of mine, dear friends of mine from primary school who are like been married for 20 plus years and they're great together. So yeah. this is... Uh, this is what I'm about to say is a reflection of me, not them, but uh, beautiful kids, wonderful kids. And uh, the dad posted uh, something on Facebook recently where his elder son, who's like 22, 23, is the spent the last year. He's the, I think he's like the in charge or general manager of the local soccer team. Right. And uh, 
you know, the, the dad wrote, all, you know, how proud he is and how he's done such a great job and they've had a really successful year. Yeah. And it was all lovely and I looked at it and I felt so fucking depressed for that boy because, like, well, I hope I hope this is, like, my first thought was, oh, I hope this is all a training for him to run Manchester United, you know? Like, if he ends up running Manchester United, then yeah. it's like, oh, yeah, great. You, yeah, you learned yeah, yeah. it at the club level and you've moved up and now you're in London. Yeah. Which is... He might not want that. Maybe that, like, if he ends up being the general manager of that club for 30 years, he might be fucking wrapped. And so who oh, am I to say, you know, otherwise? It's a otherwise. complete reflection on us. I mean, yeah. I had a similar, you know, I very rarely um, stalk around on social media, but, um, you know, I looked I looked at something from old old high school friends and they're all still together. Mm. And, and, you know, they and, and there was a video of them all singing uh, uh, Born to be Wild. Yeah, and and I like started dry reaching. I couldn't bear it, and then kind of like, oh, for fuck's sake! And and then there's that part of me going like, no, no you're the you're the fucking idiot. Yeah, yeah. Because if there's a contentment and a, and a real joy, yeah, with they're, that, they're wrapped. Go for like yes. fucking it, better than me living yeah. alone in my shitty little apartment, fucking staring up the roof every morning, going, who am I? What am I? What's the fucking meaning of all this? Yeah, but but I'm also really happy doing that too. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah I'm I mean, fine I'm, with I'm, that. I'm, 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 I guess I'm content doing it, but um, well, I'd rather be doing that than singing "Born to Be Fucking Mild." Oh, Jesus Christ! Was, you know, it really reminded me when I was a teenager and I'd see parents of my mum's generation pissed on the dance floor doing that. Um, Am I ever going to see your yeah, face yeah. again? No, no way, get, get fuck, fuck, fuck off. off. Yeah. <laughs> and even as a teenager, just going, nah, yeah. no fucking way. Yeah. I can't even clap in unison. Yeah. You know, when people are at a concert, yeah. they all start clapping along to this. I can't do it. Yeah, I'm not. I don't want to do the nut bush. I don't want to sing that. <laughs> Also, the Macarena. The Macarena. Nah, I can't. I'm the, like, if, if that's your thing, good. For, I'm really happy, but yeah. I can't. And then also, the, so the other thing is, you know, that you reminded me, which is bringing up like uh, these women, uh, you know, these women in suburbia who are medicated, uh, you know, and, and I'm speaking specifically of the idyllic version of what it's meant to be, etc. Yeah. And there's this really interesting... Uh, movement movement might not be quite the right word but there's this fascinating thing that I've noticed in the last 10 years it's probably been going on forever but I've only just noticed it is the the women in their early to mid 30s who have been in the long term relationship and get to a point where it's like what maybe I want more Mm. like maybe I want something extra and it's I've seen it all over Australia, I've seen it with friends in the UK, mm. in America, and it's not like it, it's funny. It's like guys are a little bit like, I'm a young guy. I'm going out getting pissed every night. I'm sticking my dick in any hole. Oh, it's a brick. It's got a hole in it. I'll stick my dick yeah. in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then somewhere in the like early to mid thirties, and once again, this is a generalisation, but right. the, these guys when they go, all right, I fucked all the bricks. Now it's time to yeah. you know settle down and let's have kids and let's get serious and these women have been like well I haven't like really done any of that and mm. it's not that I want to go and have sex with all sorts of people but mm. I'm not ready to be just treated as a fucking baby ba- making machine as the missus yeah and it's like I've, I've still got aspirations I've still got things that I want to mm, do and mm, mm. just because this ve- always really nice men with the best of intentions yeah. who just kind of have no idea yeah. that their partners need something else. Yeah. 
whether it's space, whether it's, uh, you know, their, their friends that aren't mixed up in that group, yeah. uh, just the opportunity to express themselves. Yeah. Uh, I find all of that really fascinating. Well, yeah, I think, I mean, you know, especially in kind of, you know, w- w- secular Western society, there is a mode of being alive that is very prescriptive and the default, mm. you know, and that is, you know, you party all through your 20s, mm. in your 30s, you you hook up with someone, you know, maybe you settle, <laughs> mm. um, you know, but it's all for the purpose of getting a mortgage and having kids and doing the thing and, mm. and, and, you know, and, and, and I do think that that's definitely, we're in some weird postmodern time now where that, that whole mode of existence is really being questioned. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of people are pushing back against it, but it does seem that a lot of people default into that when they don't know what else to do. Yeah. Uh, and you know, Again, power to you if that's if that's if that's uh, like if that's the life people want. Yeah, I, I advocate for any life that people want as long as it's not harming other people. Yeah, fucking go for it. If yeah. your dream of life is to go and live on a fucking secluded island, building your own thatched hut and eating coconuts all day, and that's your reality, go for it. Yeah. If it's to live in suburbia and have maybe not five kids because you don't need that many, but whatever, have a couple of kids, great, go for it. Yeah, but. I think I resist when I, and you see it a lot where people go down that path and it's not necessarily what they want, but that's what you do. And that's there's, what you do. there's some kind yeah. of internal or societal pressure to do it. Yeah. And I think that when you commit to any kind of life that you're not necessarily uh, fully believing in, you know, that's when the, <laughs> that's when the bugs yeah. burst out and start fucking eating you. <laughs> yeah. 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 Definitely. All right. Question two. No, we are, we, we are further than that. I just wanted to panic people. Um, so this gets us back to Jeffrey Beaumont. It's uh, funny in this question, I uh, said, you know, there's almost that jaunty detective yeah. kind of music that, yeah. uh, uh, you know, accompanies him. And uh, my, my question is, you know, what's your, first take on Kyle McLaughlin as Jeffrey. So there's a couple of things just uh one is once again another thing that made me laugh like an arsehole. Hmm. He looks like he's never thrown a rock before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like what are you doing mate? Like that's so uh Mickey D and I we used to just love throwing rocks with our left hands yeah. because because we're right-handed so yeah. you know you flick it but when you throw it with the left it's like yeah. you know you look like your auntie trying to use an ipad you know it looks it's hilarious but um this was the first viewing where uh and i'm curious to know what you think of this is i think his father's stroke is what sends him down the dark path because mm. his idyllic life is confronted not only by his father's near death, but when he goes to visit him, mm. he's all mechanical and strapped up and it's keeping him alive and it's and it's good that it's keeping him alive, mm. but it's also not natural. Yeah. And that's suddenly when it's... Uh, then the next thing is he discovers the ear. Yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. I wonder if he... if Like, maybe he doesn't stop there to throw the rock anyway, just from a physical point of view, but mm. maybe the maybe the curiosity of the ear... Like, yeah. it's, it's a distraction from the, the, the confrontation of seeing his father. Yeah, maybe. And I think also his father crying, like his father yes. being, like, yeah. super vulnerable. Oh, and, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, 
I remember the first time I saw my grandpa cry and it fucked me up. Yeah. It was really confronting. Yeah. And he didn't just like, <laughs> I was 15 and got a terrible report card and did a performative running away from home. Yeah. Uh, and, um, yeah, it was, I was always running away from home. It was, it was, it was like, you know, it was like Bart Simpson running away from home. Oh, like yeah. I took a framed photo of my family and yeah. just this nonsense. Yeah. Um, it was a good 20 minutes and yeah, then went home. Yeah. It was like lingering around my street anyway and all this. And I think my mum and my grandma both were aware of like, you know, God, he got straight D's. This is a, a right. way of distracting from, you know, yeah. getting punished. Yeah. Um, and in retrospect, I realized like it triggered all of my grandfather's trauma and right. grief and loss from the war. And so when I finally returned home, he like threw himself on me and just started sobbing. Oh God. And I, it, like it was a fucking wake up call. Yeah. It was, it was really confronting. Yeah. Seeing him cry like that. I mean, I'd never seen him literally never seen him cry. It was old yeah. world man. Um, so I think that plays a lot in Jeffrey's kind of the, the confrontation. Yeah. Seeing his dad, not just physically vulnerable, but emotionally vulnerable for me. I think Jeffrey is on the precipice of a moment. Regardless. I think yeah. he was about to, descend into darkness like i've seen i've seen analysis of this where people go oh he's really fucked up or he's really um you know he's a deviant or whatever i don't think he is at all no i think he's a very normal person who suddenly realized there is a darkness in him as there is in all people yeah and i think this entire movie is him coming to terms with that darkness yeah It, it, it it's um the you know the finding of the ear it, it suddenly makes him realize there's a world not yeah. far from his touch that he doesn't really understand and then it kind of awakens this childish voyeuristic yeah. side to him he's not like he's not in the cupboard having a wank he's in the cupboard trying to comprehend what the fuck is happening yeah. here i mean it it almost reminded me of you know a teenager you know uh typing something maybe they shouldn't type into Google. And, you know, I mean, I remember the first time I found a porno mag when I was, I was probably only like nine or 10 years old. Yeah. And it was titillating and it was exciting, but it was also really scary. It was like, what, like, you know, it was, it was that realization that you, that there is this entire other world and realm that you have no access to at that age. Yeah. That you, you, you're aware enough to understand that you don't understand any yeah. of it. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I think what, what whatever he goes through in this movie was going to happen one way or another. Yeah. As it should, or or as it inevitably does to everyone, right? Yeah. You know. So the first time I ever found uh, porn magazines mm. was uh, a, a bunch of porn magazines that my uncle had left behind like you know color climax and things like that color climax uh, yeah I've never even heard of that one. yeah lesbian lust you know that kind of thing and uh, just way too many wangs and boobs and all yeah. that kind of stuff and uh, i found it really quite confronting yeah. as well and so 
um, I did what any normal kid would do and I took them to my school and I sold them to other kids for $25 a pop and that's how I bought these really expensive Swamp Thing comics with Alan Moore. So they funded they funded my Alan Moore education. That's great. Which also feels correct knowing what his relationship is like with sex. I that's feel like, fucking great. I feel like Alan Moore would have no interest in talking to me because I'm a fan yeah. and but I think he would appreciate that porn funded my understand so while some kids just paid twenty five dollars to have a fiddle looking at some lesbian last, I had used that money to read a beautiful story about Abby and Swamp Thing eating a, a, a mushroom that makes them hallucinate sex. I'm very proud of you, Justin. Yeah. Uh, uh, By the way, anyone who doesn't know Alan Moore, that was an excellent impersonation. I remember we when when we found one, we uh we all drew straws. And one by one, uh, got to pick our favourite um, centerfold and right. rip it out and take it home as, oh. a, as a thing. Yeah. So, I mean, God, this is like a whole other fucking world, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Magazines. I mean, I don't know anyone around our generation that didn't find a stick mag in a phone booth oh, yeah. or in the bushes. Well, I, 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 used to, I used to tell the routine on stage where I was walking along uh, train tracks up in Blair in South Australia with three of my mates and uh, there was... Like it was a, a zoo magazine where, you know, all the pages had been ripped out and we were just walking along and then was just like, what? <laughs> what is that? Yeah. And we just like stared at it for ages. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, we better get going. Random porn. Random, Random porn. porn encounters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no. <laughs> I remember the joy of sex. I remember stumbling across a copy of the joy of sex at a young age. Uh, I don't remember it was like that like a one. 70s, 70s yeah. um, sex, sex, how to have sex manual. Right. I oh, yeah, flick- yeah, and yeah, they're all yeah, drawings. No, yes, they were too. Yeah, yeah, no, I do remember that. I remember flicking through that and feeling very confused. But yeah. I want to keep looking at it, but I yeah. don't. Yeah. I was feeling. How, how are they doing that? Yeah. That looks, that looks painful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are they doing? Yeah. Anyway. Um, Jeffrey doesn't just report and deliver the year. He wants to know more, which is interesting. Like, he doesn't just take it in. Yeah. Like, the next scene is he's still fucking hanging out with the cops, yeah. looking around. In the morgue. <laughs> in the morgue. Like, what is happening here? Um, and from the moment that he wants to know more, yeah. the movie becomes much darker and his life becomes much darker. And moments that should be really normal suddenly have a, a, a very hard to pinpoint strangeness about them. One of them is when he's walking along the pavement and there's a man taking his dog for a walk. <laughs> And they, they don't move. Yeah, he's just like, it's there. so weird. Like, they, they, yeah. they don't acknowledge him. They're, they're, like, the dog barely moves. Yeah. Like, but then the guy's dead straight, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then that's out. And also, they're, impo- like they're, they're improbably dark streets. Improbably. For, and, for, for suburbia. Yeah, and then Sandy appears, yeah. like, out of the dark. Yeah, and yeah. it is, uh, like, what do you make of that first appearance? I, I think it's pretty breathtaking actually it's yeah. it's almost like well for for me in like at the time it's just a great entrance yeah. but uh at the end it's like i kind of almost look at it like um out of this darkness he's he's going to be your salvation yeah, this absolutely. is going to be the person that even though she leads him a little bit down that path he's she's also the tether to coming back yeah, yeah. i think she, i think it's the uh it's the opposite of the ants under yeah. the sunny Grass. Yeah, it's the, the there's the darkness in the light and there's light in the darkness. Yeah, and there's um, there's also this um, you know her dream. 
you know, talking about the the world being covered in darkness and then light and then the robins flying mm. out. Uh, it's all done in that very crazy, slightly detached Lynchian way, a little bit too romantic, but mm. it also kind of captures it. It's it, if it's not necessarily in tone, it captures very much the innocence of the teenage heart, which oh, yeah. is writ large and very romantic. And even his delivery of the line, why is there so much trouble in this world? Oh, yeah, like yeah. It's so, <laughs> yeah. It's so like midday movie delivery. Yeah. But it totally captures the truth of that. Yes. Again, that moment as a teenager where, you know, like, what the fuck? Yeah. What? Why? The world's fucked. Yeah. It's fucking horrible. It's such an awful moment. Oh, dude, I've seen it on, I've seen it happen to so many kids. That moment. Because it, it happens, it happens in stages. Like there's a, there's different degrees of it. Yeah. Like I think the first bout of it hits probably around seven. Yeah. You know, and it's very much a seven-year-old version of it. But, yeah. You know, you go from, you know, oh, everything's magic to like, yeah. ow, ow, that kid made fun of me and it hurts. So can you remember like the first kind of life lesson that was a bummer? Because I, 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 I've just remembered this one now, yeah. which was when I was like five or six. And I was at my friend Matthew Chappell's birthday party mm. and they put up all these things to do. And there was a race that you could win a prize. And I won the race because I was fucking a, a gun. <laughs> and Matthew Chappell, lovely man, by the way, but Matthew Chappell had a fucking sookie sookie la la. Oh. And then and then mum kind of had to take me aside and say, hey, look, I know that you won the award, uh, but won the prize, but it's, it's just going to be easier if you give the prize over and... Make this okay, yeah, right. Because it's just not worth it, yeah, right. And me at that age, just going, okay, that I understand why I'm doing this. Yeah, it doesn't really seem fair. No, there's yeah, yeah. I think and I, I have heaps of those kinds of moments, like in grade seven when it, my school primary school basketball team, I was by far the best player, mm. by far, and uh, had managed to kind of carry us to third mm. but there was another kid who was in grade six who like really tall kid who had heaps of potential and went on to be quite a good basketballer but at the time he could barely catch a ball mm. and they made us co-mvps because they wanted to give him confidence for grade seven oh, and it's like off and it's like well but but i was quite clearly the best yeah, anyway yeah, 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 th- yeah. those two moments seem to have summed up heaps of aspects of my life and i've just remembered them and i really wish i was seeing my therapist on tuesday <laughs> It's all right. We'll talk it through on the podcast. Uh, I, I remember one. I remember one that uh, it might not be the first, yeah. but I, uh, there was one. There's one that really. It was kind of that moment of like, oh, life can suck. Uh, it was my. It must have been because we're still living in Roseville. It must have been my seventh birthday, mm. and the party had been in full swing for not long, under yeah. an hour. And I used to get um, chronic migraines as a kid, like right. chronic. Like vomiting everywhere, screaming, oh, just awful. God, yeah. Uh, and we were running around playing tips or whatever, and me and another kid crack, cracked yep. heads. Yeah. And I was on the ground, migraine kicked in, and <laughs> I remember being in bed in my bedroom. Yeah. Lights off, ice pack on my head as yep. the party continued. <laughs> It's my birthday party. Wow. <laughs> and I could hear, I remember lying there like in just excruciating, yeah. awful pain, hearing all my friends Having outside a- eating my fucking cake, yeah. celebrating the birthday that I wasn't able to attend. I remember in that moment having like the weight, you know, and it's, it's you know, God, in retrospect, it's nothing. But as a kid, it's everything. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it was that real sense of like, 
life is really fucking brutal sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. So this is a note that I wrote to myself in the middle of uh in the, within the first half hour and yeah. and it actually relates to uh you know him doing the chicken walk and and Sandy saying that's kind of interesting. But the note I wrote to myself is Jeffrey Beaumont is to me what Tom Cruise would be in reality if he just let him be himself. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Tom. Yeah. Like, instead of being, you know, this, hey, whoa, yeah, you know, Xenu, I'm in space making movies. Uh, I I feel like maybe you were just meant to be a guy who walks like a bit of a dickhead as a chicken. (laughs) Um, So the blind guy that can work out how many fingers Jeffrey is holding up. um, So that, to me, ends up being a bit of a metaphor for Jeffrey. Right. Because it's quite clearly his mate's tapping him four times on the shoulder. (laughs) But he's so kind of amazed and gullible and he doesn't realise what's happening right in front of him. And I feel like that scene succinctly sums up where Jeffrey's at. I'm so glad you said that because it's the first thing I said. It's like his buddy's behind him tapping him on the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, and I reckon, like, so do you reckon after, you know, uh, after the movie's finished and he goes back and he's working in there and, you know, still helping out and they do that. Do you think he's like, oh, he's tapping him on the shoulder, yeah, but he just keeps playing along after that? Because I think he, I don't, I think he's, I think he comes together quite whole. I don't think he's damaged or anything, but he's seen stuff. And yeah, or, or you know, yeah, or at the very least, at, at the very worst, he kind of calls it out, but in a, um, you know, in a, in a fun, fun way. way. Yeah. yeah, you know. Yeah, it's a it's, it, it's such a funny thing to kind of realise, and he's just like, "Wow, I just I'll don't never know. figure out how you do that." Yeah, I reckon, I reckon after you see Frank, you will work that out, mate. You'll be all right. Um, it appears that from the moment Jeffrey enters the block of apartments, the soundscape changes with the gentle buzz of electricity as he enters a foreign place, and uh, once again, this movie feels like. It feels like it could, you know, the the place of Eraserhead is not mm. too far away. Yeah, and, totally. And this is the same world of the Elephant Man in yeah. in the future, doesn't it? It's uh, yeah. it's quite fascinating. Now, now that we're kind of looking for it as well, as soon as you hear that familiar, <laughs> yeah. Well, there's sound effects in this that are literally sound effects in Twin Peaks. Yeah. There's I can't do it, but there's a yeah. sound effect that yeah. keeps popping up. That's all the way through Peaks. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of um, a lot of little breadcrumbs all the way through. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's interesting. Like once he enters that place, the soundscape seems to drift into the uh, real world yep. now as well. Yeah, so meaning right. he just can't he just can't escape it now. Of course, once he's seen it, it's it's yeah, there, which is true. Um, side note question: uh, Do you know anything about beer? Because I is there any significance to Jeffrey being such a Heineken man, is that a... I always just read it as like, you know, uh, a young man who's kind of trying to differentiate himself and show how sophisticated he is. Yes, that's what I thought as well, right. But I didn't know if there was... Like if someone mentioned 4X, we'd go 4X, you know, but I didn't... But it's just a differentiation. Yeah, I think so. But but I'm... Look, again, I don't know anything about beer, but I, I, I don't think Heineken... Even at that time, was considered like ho oh, oh, ho, yeah, Heineken, yeah. You know, it's it's you know, it, it, it's like it's like when a teenager puts Lynx Africa on for the first time. Yeah. Like I'm wearing Lynx now, yeah. and everyone else is kind of like, yeah, all right, buddy. all right, all right, mate. <laughs> yeah. Did you did you try Old Spice to begin with, and then move up yeah. to? <laughs> I'm I'm really grown up now because I'm wearing a Lynx. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's so you funny. You are a boy. Yeah, that's okay. That's good. It's all steps in the right directions. It's also uh, also his... Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Like that whole conversation of, uh, you know... Heineken and then someone that says, but, ah, the king of beers. The king like, of beers. Yeah, it's I like, know you know, my, mm-hmm. yeah. And then it's so funny. Like, once again, one of the funniest moments, which is horrific, is mm. not only does he break into Isabella Rossellini's uh, place, but he has a piss. And there's that moment when he's having the piss and he goes, Heineken. Oh, Heineken. <laughs> <laughs> Missing. Meanwhile, Sandy's like, oh, fuck, he's in trouble. And she's yeah, pressing yeah, horns yeah. and he's... And, like, also... Piss on the side, mate. Yeah. Why are you pissing right into the yeah. water, you idiot? <laughs> it's so funny. Um, speaking of Isabella Rossellini, as Dorothy, she first appears and she looks like a memory of a lounge singer from mm. the past. Uh, what do you think of that first appearance? When she sings Blue Velvet? Yeah, well, yeah, when we see her for the first time singing and it's... Yeah, it's, it's very haunting. And, it, and, yeah. and, and again, just in terms of like, you know, that kind of lynch world, it's, you know, we see that again and again. Yeah. All the way through, you know, yeah. the kind of haunting lounge singer yeah in some strange club that exists in a dream yeah it's interesting isn't it because as uh, as soon as uh, Jeffrey and Sandy see her they she's dangerous for both of them and she's dangerous because uh, like Jeffrey like she's like a woman that he's never seen and she's bringing out a lot of uh, uh, feelings in him that he pr- doesn't really comprehend or really have any access to. But it's funny, if you watch Sandy, she is really confronted by her. It's just, yeah. there's too much. It's the sensuality. It is, uh, you know, just something that they're just not in tune with and it's mm. almost overpowering for well, her. She's a woman. Yeah. So she kind of gets it on a level. Yeah. yeah. And, and, not a, and not a woman that these two very suburban kids are used to seeing. Yeah. You know, maybe they've seen kind of whatever, a femme fatale in some movie or something. But, you know, the 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 females that they are used to is Aunt Dorothy yeah. and Mum. Yeah. You know, um, very suburban types. Yeah. Um, so to see this very sensual, you know... And strong and vulnerable all at the same yeah, time. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, she's... You know, it's the Wizard of Oz motif as well. Like, her name's Dorothy. She's wearing red shoes. Yeah, of She's course. trapped in a dream. Of course. You know, that she's trying to escape from. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's uh, 
it's it's funny, isn't it? Just for like a very simple scene, it's yeah a lot happening. Uh, when Jeffrey has to hide in the walk-in robes, we see his voyeuristic desires change from idea to reality. And what do you think happens to Jeffrey in this scene as he uh, witnesses Dorothy undressing and oh, I think going that I think her? that's the you know because I think the ear is like you know the entry point, and I think in that closet is that moment where life is never the same again. And never. you know, I think metaphorically each person that's ever been alive has that moment it could happen you know as a kid it could happen Mm. as a teenager it could happen in your early 20s depending on it it all depends on how exposed you are to the world Mm. um i feel like it happened to me very early like very early yeah 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 (laughs) i mean I, i i remember at the age of 10 mum taking me to see the michael douglas movie falling down at the cinema oh right yeah, crazy. Yeah. Um, our, our, we used to live near, uh, like two blocks from the Orpheum in Cremorne, uh, the greatest cinema in Sydney. And so we'd go most Friday or Saturday nights and mum would kind of leave it to me to select the movie. Right. And I started, I don't know why, I still have this very clear memory of going, we should see this movie. I heard it's about a guy that goes crazy and her going, yeah, all right. And we went there at Full House in the main and I still remember being like, both of us being death stared by people like what the fuck because I was very little right very little kid uh, so it looked a lot younger than I was and it was like so inappropriate yeah uh, and I remember halfway through that movie having some kind of innocence shattered yeah sitting there going I and, and fully being aware of like I shouldn't be watching this yeah you know and I think that's a that's a really powerful thing for a kid to think yeah because you know a lot of the time when kids are engaging with stuff that they know they shouldn't be engaging with there's kind of a excitement or something but this was a real sense of like i don't need to see this side of life this is just yet yeah and yeah that that was a very defining moment seeing that so i think that is to say i think that there is a a jeffrey in the closet moment for everyone everybody where where you kind of come out the other side and you're blinking in the the light going what the fuck god oh and it's funny isn't it like uh, dorothy very quickly goes from being a symbol to a person like mm. he sees so many uh, intimate moments of her not just the uh, stripping down but also the things that she's experiencing and going through and then so she be kind of she becomes a person and then when she discovers him and it's it's like it's the most emasculating oh, head terrifying. job I've ever seen it's terrifying yeah she's holding a knife to his cock yeah you know i mean i doubt he's ever had a blowjob before in his life and now he's got this deranged (laughs) deranged woman who's been you know up until now it's all been fun and games like a little kid playing detective well he's removed you know and now now he's in it now he's in it yeah and you know she's saying really disturbing things like uh you know hit me hit me and you know I, i can't remember what she says to him she says something really violent to him. She's like, yeah. "Do you like that?" Yeah, and he's just like, what? "No, like, yeah. I don't ever, I've never even, I didn't even know that was an aspect of sexuality before. Yeah. This yeah. kind of sadomasochistic thing, like, how, like you know, it's like, you know, I, I imagine it's what you know, it's one of the reasons I'm so against um, kids having devices. But I imagine it's what an entire generation of kids have gone through, stumbling upon kink.com or whatever on the yeah. fucking internet, where it's like, Jesus Christ. Like, it's one thing to find a stick magazine in a bush. Right. And it's just tits and dicks. Yeah. Now you're seeing, you know, just these 
acts i mean again if it's between consenting adults and uh, great whatever you're into but fucking hell man without any kind of context for some of those visions yeah i don't know how you would process it yeah i don't know how you process someone being you know strung up and you know gang banged or whatever it's yeah. just, as, as someone who hasn't even experienced their first kiss yet yeah it's insane yeah it's fucking crazy can you please call your next show Tits and Dicks? <laughs> uh, it's interesting as well that, uh, you know, previously to get into that apartment, he enters as a bug exterminator. Mm. And then, uh, which is something he, you know, like the bugs are such a motif of, you know, the darkness underneath. And then it's almost like uh, he eventually does become the bug exterminator when he blows Frank's face off with yeah, a gun right, of course. you know yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's he, he he goes in under false pretenses and then eventually does become what he said he was yep <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah yep uh, <laughs> this was my um, li- uh, note that I'd written to myself the arrival of Frank Booth dot 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 it's a lot <laughs> it's a lot <laughs> it's a lot so let's... It's daddy, shithead! Oh, my God. <laughs> it is like... So it's such a horrific scene. <laughs> and it reminded me of a, a very specific moment in my life. Yeah. Uh, and I... I, 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 I Yeah. So anyway, uh, I was seeing this lounge singer. And uh, no, so the, the, like the, the, the aspect of... It, so. I can understand how people would not find any of this funny. Yeah. But this is why I do find it funny. Yeah. Because, and I've told this story as a routine on stage, but this is a true story. Mickey D and I, like, <laughs> like decades ago, like I reckon it was um, late 90s, yeah. like might have been 99, yeah. got booked for a gig and we got the address and we went to it, and make a very long story short, we kept driving and driving and driving. We entered the suburbs. The suburbs started to give way to big blocks of mm-hmm. land. And then we ended up at a, a massive garage that was down a path mm-hmm. uh, that was had like 50 motorbikes around it and like a couple of dickheads. And we went with our friend. Our friend Fred <sighs> drove us. Uh, Fred is a girl, F-R-A. E-H-D, as she insists, that's how you spell the female version of Fred. Uh And Fred said, you know, I'll just uh, wait here and, you know, you do the gig and, like, I've got some stuff to do and uh, we'll see you in about an hour. And we went in and it was all these bikers and there were, uh, like, there was a a massive moose head uh, above the bar. There was a pool table in there with cigarette burns in it. There was boxing equipment, right. and uh, it was the, and there were two girls doing an act. Yeah, and uh, we walked in, and they saw us, and they said, "Right, the comedians are here." Uh, and so they had a bit of a chat to us, and then they got us to do stand up. And I, I don't know what it was. We were both idiots. Like as soon as. As soon as we'd seen that the entrance led down a park, uh, down a path, and then once, like, even that should have been a warning. Fuck, but then, it sounds like that movie Green Room. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, right? Oh, yeah. So we go, so we do the gig, oh. and uh, look, this might be hard to believe, but it didn't go well. And 
I got hit in the head with a loaf of bread that just got thrown at me from... Uh, <laughs> God, it was only a loaf of bread. Well, you know... <laughs> it could have been a fucking pool cue. Well, maybe they thought I was gluten intolerant and they wanted to take me down. But then uh, Mickey got up and he was not going well, but what he would do is at the end of a punchline, he would go and punch the punching bag and yep. they, they'd clap every time he'd do that. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. the gig had not gone well yeah. and... By the way, professionals, we both did time. And uh, then yeah. we were like just happy to go. Yeah. And then they said, no, nah, you, you're going to hang out. And then I had biker after biker telling me what I was doing wrong with my stand-up. Mm. And I remember this guy who was shorter than me. And I'm not that tall. Mm. But he was shorter than me with this big orange hair and big orange beard. And he's there saying, mate, you don't talk about pussy enough. And I was like, yep, no, I will talk about pussy more. Thank you. Do you have any <laughs> other notes? And I'm like fucking taking them all on board. And they're like, do you drink Bundy? It's like, no. And they said, here's a Bundy. And so oh, I drink gosh. Bundy. So anyway, yep. Yep. Mickey and I were... There for five hours, um, incapable of leaving because yeah. we were their playthings. Yeah. Anyway, they paid us yeah. a few gym socks full of coins. <laughs> <laughs> and when we got yeah. out to the car, Fred was hiding in the, like she had sunk right down into the like front of the car and for the last hour was convinced that we were both dead and um, we got anyway uh, so that night was genuinely terrifying but also it was really funny like there were really funny moments happening like of course. The, the ginger guy telling me that I wasn't talking about pussy enough in my stand up like it's a really funny moment and I know it's funny I can't laugh because then I might get turned into his next vest. Yeah. But it's, you know. But, yeah. And that's, and that's what that scene reminded me of, that very distinct feeling of horror and hilarity and I am disgusted by this and yeah, yeah, then, yeah. you know, a line will make me laugh and then there's a moment of violence that makes me feel bad for laughing and... It's that feeling of being completely out of your depth and there's an almost sense of hysteria that takes over. Right. The, 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 the scene this reminded... The, 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 what you were just describing reminded me so much of... It's, it's, it's a fucking stellar shot in um, Boogie Nights. Yeah. You know when they go to Alfred Molina's house yes. to get the cocaine? Yes. And it's probably a two-minute locked-on shot of Marky Mark. <laughs> yeah. And everything's going through his head. Yeah. You know, he's high on coke. Yeah. And, and it's like without saying a word, it's the manifestation of how the fuck did it come to this? Yes. And halfway through it, he just starts cracking up. Like yes. He's, and he's laughing but trying not to laugh. Yeah. And, you know, I mean... By the way, Mark Wahlberg, not a very good actor. Fucking brilliant in that he's moment. Brilliant. It's his best. It's his best he's acting. Brilliant. He's, he's brilliant in that. He's he's really fucking good in Three Kings as well. Yeah, it's great. It, it's like he's he's got this tiny target that yeah. he can hit that he's brilliant in, and he hits it in that. Oh moment. man, that, I mean that 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 shot. I mean, I've been in a lot of places that I should not have been yeah. over the years. Yeah. With people that I should not be with. Yeah. And. There's something in you that is like I. You go into survival mode. Yeah, I just have to get through this. Yeah, and I, you know, and you know, in some ways, you're never better in those than in those moments because it really yeah. is like back against the wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, but, you're hyper aware. Like you can yeah. feel you can feel your skin buzzing and oh, you 100%, can feel peripherals wide open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can feel the creases in your eyes and it, yeah. yeah, it's phenomenal. But there is, but there is, uh, from my experience, there is a, 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 an aura of hysteria that comes with it, and it's not necessarily that it's 
funny, but that hysteria, that hysteria of like, you know, you start getting the giggles because yeah. it's almost forbidden. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. yeah. No, I know exactly what you mean. The, uh, I remember this uh, once being out, you know, bouncing back and forth between clubs, having a really good time. And then uh, a friend of ours uh, said, oh, there's a party uh, that's actually not far from his place. Uh, he said, well, why, don't, why don't we go there and then we'll check in, see who's there, see if we know anyone and then we can head back to mine. And when we got there, the party was three dudes. I don't know if it had been more of a party uh-huh. than that. But I walked in and immediately I was like, oh, I just don't want to uh-huh, be here. And it uh-huh. was gross. And they were on all sorts of drugs and it was awful. But the funny thing was one of the guys had been so high, he had been chewing on his lip and his lip was five times the size of his face and his friends were just referring to him as the lip and he was really offended but he couldn't say anything because his lip was too big so he was like which was making it funnier but he was really angry but anyway and so you're just standing there everyone's got a thin film of fucking sweat across their their eyes their skin their hair Yeah. yeah and that was one of those moments where and I think we probably were I think we were there for like half an hour. You know, when you get somewhere and you go, we can do 30 minutes and then we can leave. But, you know. And you're already coming up with all oh, the excuses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, yeah. I don't. Yeah. Dude, I've been in the backs of car with, cars with people, yeah. you know, on my way to go and score. Yeah. Going, what the fuck am I doing? What I don't I doing? know this person. I don't know who's driving. Yeah. You know, again, what you were just describing, we're in suburbia. Now suburbia is receding and we're suddenly yeah. in fields. Am I yeah. about to be dragged into a field and shot in the head? Like, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> This is a grotty podcast. Yeah, and well, it's, it's a, a grotty movie. movie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like uh, I feel like the week has led perfectly yeah, to this. Uh, I mean, to it was always going to come to this. This isn't even Lynch's grottiest movie. So no, no, no. But it is. Um, it it isn't his grottiest movie, but it also feels the one that we could like. If if I didn't see you for a week, and then I and then you said, "Hey, I ended up in a." in a blue velvet situation it's like oh yeah of course like it's like it's not far away you know the others still like his grottier films feel much further away but this one still feels like we could access it oh 100% you know I mean look maybe maybe it's just the kind of life that I've lived but you know I think if you're especially comedy maybe not so much comedy now but definitely comedy 10 years ago yeah I mean I've been in rooms with Frank not that extreme yeah but that type yeah you know, like really fucking unhinged. Yeah. Really fucking scary. Oh, yeah. Um, so uh, I just want to touch briefly on... I want to briefly touch on the two women yeah. and I want to touch on the three men in yeah. in Jeffrey's life. Yeah. So uh, what's your... Uh, what, what do you think Dorothy and Isabella represent? Uh, sorry. What do you think Dorothy and Sandy represent to Jeffrey? Um, I think uh, I think Dorothy represents that first incursion with um, sexuality and uh, complex relationships that you don't even know exist. Yeah. Before you've encountered it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a it's a mature it's a maturity as well that is beyond. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I think when you are a kid and then you move into teenagehood, you know, you kind of look at 
the idea of relationships or romances, whatever, with a very idealized yeah. perspective, you know, that all love is wholesome and, mm. and, and healthy and all the rest. Mm. Uh, and, you know, hopefully you never get into a relationship that toxic, mm. but there's some toxic fucking re- relationship models out there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, until you've kind of experienced it, it's very hard to imagine. Yeah. I think, you know, I remember when I was much younger and people would tell me about just awful relationships they were in and it was, yeah. and you know, I'd always be like, we'll just fucking leave. Like what, yeah. you know, and whenever someone would say, it's not that easy, it's not that easy, whatever. It sounds fucking terrible. Just fucking leave. Yeah. Until you're in it. Yeah. You don't realize, no, it is really, you know, it's hard. It's really hard. Yeah. Like, you know, um, the, the idea of love or the idea of lust is incredibly complex. And, you know, uh, when Jeffrey is returning to Dorothy, essentially to fuck, I'm not sure his frontal cortex is fully <laughs> engaged in yeah. that decision. Well, I, think I think he's he, being dragged along by hormones and, and all the rest. I think it's also bringing out a, uh, like he also wants to save her as well. He's bringing out like a hero complex I in him that. and uh, which he doesn't, once again, doesn't quite know how to handle Yeah, and because I, I, of the physical side. A hundred percent. And I also think that there's a part of himself that's brimming to the surface that he's curious to explore. Yeah. You know, yeah. this, this darkness. Yeah. There's uh, that awful scene where he finally hits her yeah. and she's goaded him into it. Yeah. Um, but it is... No, it's, it's horrible. Horrible. But, you know, that that is, is an aspect to him that he didn't know existed yeah. previous. Yeah. And, you know, it, 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 it's something that he seems to want to explore. Or at least... Wants to well, he, try to see if he likes it. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Interesting. I like. I, I think it was just. I don't know what this is, and I'm exploring it. Yeah. 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 And then Sandy feels like um, almost like uh, a, a naive intellectual kind of. Uh, you know, like at first I was a bit like, why is she hanging out with him? He mm. is weird. <laughs> but then you know, she tells her dream, and you go, oh yeah. Yeah. She's weird too. She's a kid. Like yeah, she's, they're, they're both on the same wavelength. And he's weird, but he's not like he's still very charming. And he's yeah. weird in that kind of like, especially you know she. I mean, remember she doesn't see any of the stuff that yeah. we see. Yeah. Uh, so or, you know she just sees this kind of like quirky weird guy who's yeah. on a mission, and you know it's very easy to think that he's you know all, it's all about nobility and yeah. you know not necessarily him. The story that he tells about Frank and about um, Dorothy yeah. is not the story. No. You get, you know, oh, Frank's a very dangerous man. You yeah. Know, and, and, and I mean, you know, to the point where it's a big surprise to her at the end when Dorothy's naked going, yeah. my secret love. Yeah, <laughs> He yeah. put his disease in me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's horrific to her. She never yeah. imagined that it went to that place. What do you reckon she means when he says disease? Oh, is, he's, he's come or his cock, right? Right. I wondered if it meant hope. Right, yeah. You know, the hope to get out of this situation, which has led to more violence, whereas before everything, the status quo was awful, but she could cope with it. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. maybe. I, I read it as, like, you know, like, um, well, probably, in, in her reality, sex and love has become such a kind of... It's, it's become so enmeshed with trauma and violence yeah. and, and horror. You're probably right, yeah. Um, yeah. That, you know, it's just... It's, 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 it's you know... 
Yeah. And to a certain degree, lust can be a bit of a disease, right? Yeah, 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 definitely. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting as well that, uh, yeah, the, all of that is, uh, you know, being caught up in that world. And the way he talks about the encounter with uh, Frank and Dorothy, and oh. as you just said, it doesn't really represent exactly what happened. It's also the way we talk about this movie where who gives a shit about the man in yellow and their, their, what oh, they're no, getting no, up to crime-wise? No, it's, it's, all, it's all emotional reactions. Oh, totally. Yeah. You know, and, and, but, but, like, even if he wanted to, Jeffrey couldn't tell um, Sandy about what goes on. How could he describe a guy huffing nitrous, Daddy wants to fuck! Like, it, it, that, that's so outside the realm of what... Yeah. He can't even understand it and he's looking at it. Yeah. How do you even describe that to someone? Yeah. You know, I mean, that's... You know, and, and, and that is kind of like, you know, this, like, I mean, that's this lust and this fucked up sexual drive that it's stripped of any kind of humanity. It's just this raw kind of like, yeah. you know, baby. Oh, my oh God. God. Well, that's it. You know, then you're looking at the holy trinity of men, which is, you know, Sandy's dad, mm-hmm. who is, you know... He's already been emasculated, hasn't oh. he? With the with the stroke and the crying. Sorry, um, uh, sorry, uh, sorry. Yes, uh, Jeffrey's dead. Yeah, Jeffrey's dead. Um, yeah. And then you know, then you get um, Sandy's dad, oh. who is kind of the guy that he probably aspires to be. You mm. know, like got his shit together, has a nice wife, oh. has a beautiful daughter, has a nice house. It's respectable at work. Um, you know, kind of, he, he's a good man as well. Mm. Like, he's like, hey, you've done enough. Now you have to let it go. Yeah, you know, yeah, he yeah, understands. Yeah. He straddles the world that Jeffrey doesn't quite get his head around yet. He understands mm. that I've got this idyllic life, but there are bugs. Well, even 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 that um, that line, it's it's, it's uh, where he's like, it must be a very exciting life. And he goes, it's horrible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm holding back the shit that I don't yeah. want you to have to deal with, so yeah. let it go. But he's yeah. he's been awoken, like Jeffrey's been awoken yeah, yeah, into yeah. this world. And then fucking Frank, like he is just, what is he? The id unleashed. Yeah, id and, unleashed, yeah. Oh, my it's, You know, it's, it's uh, Frank is what I think most people, given the wrong circumstances... Has the has has in them right? Well, he's he's all emotional responses, isn't yeah. he? It's like yeah. something that's really telling. I was going to get to this later, but something that's really telling about him is the way he cries with beautiful old-fashioned songs, mm. and it's like crying, being violent, sex. It's all impulsive, mm-hmm. and he doesn't really he know he doesn't. Wonder why he's crying? He just cries. No, no, no. I mean, in a, in a weird way, he's very pure. Mm. You know, I mean, there's no judgment call on that. It's yeah, all awful. Yeah, yeah. He's but a bit he, like Bob. Yeah, he's yeah. just fucking doing what he wants to do because it, it's what he feels at any yeah. given moment. I mean, obviously, it's psychotic and it's completely um, selfish. It takes no one's comfort or safety into consideration on any level. Yeah. Um, but I think. I think that the represent that the, the point of Frank is that he is representing the bugs that are crawling under everyone's skin. Mm, yeah, that, that, that you know, and and then and there's that moment where he looks into Carl McLaughlin's face and says, yeah. "We're the same." Yeah, you know, yeah. and he's right. Yeah, 
Like, you know, what, 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 what scares me about people, you know, like people are great, but people are also, you know, holocausts don't happen because one person makes a really great argument in a speech one day. Right. It happens because on mass, human beings have the capacity yeah. to degenerate into fucking animals. Yeah. Very quickly. Yeah. You know, we're talking the day after fucking eight people got crushed to death at a fucking rock, uh, at a rap concert. You oh, know? I don't know this. Yeah, there was some festival yesterday and some rapper got on stage and everyone was so desperate to see him that eight people got crushed to oh, death. No. It's like, okay, so eight people got crushed to death because people wanted to see some guy rap. What happens if water stops coming out of the taps? Yeah. What happens if the food supply shuts down? Yeah. Like people... Well, we saw it on a very safe and yeah. dumb level with COVID and suddenly everyone had to buy all the toilet paper. People clawing each other's eyes out for shit paper and that's a commodity that really, at the end of the day, if you run out of shit paper, you can get in the fucking shower and wash your asshole clean. Like you don't yeah. need... Like, it's not... Well, it's true. I mean, you're yeah, not going to yeah, die yeah. without toilet no, no, paper. No, 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 no. It's just the wash your asshole clean should be the uh, follow-up to tits and dicks. Uh, I'll, produce, you know, I'll produce both shows uh, if you call them that. Tits and dicks and wash your asshole clean. Um, my grandma used to say something so fun. She was so funny. She was the most, like, beautifully, just serenely optimistic person in the world. Um but these little flashes would come out of her every now and then. And one day me and her and my mum were walking through a cemetery and my mum made some comment about, you know, how creepy dead bodies are or, you know, ghosts mm. or whatever. And my grandma just goes, ah, don't fear the ghosts, fear the living. Uh, yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> and that's, you know, that, I mean, that's the, I think that's what Frank is. It's that, yeah. it's that capacity that exists in all people. And I know that there's people listening to this right now going, well, he must be really fucked up if he thinks that that exists in everyone I guarantee it exists in you too yeah. given the right circumstances not everyone sure yeah but 95% of people have that kind of darkness in them yeah you know the, the, the great mercy is that very very few people ever give credence to it or act on it yeah but at somewhere in us in our deep in our reptile brain is a frank I think it's important to acknowledge because then you know how to overcome it well, you, you just know how to assimilate it. Yeah. You know, because I, I, I think, you know, Grant Morrison talks about that, about demons, you know, and he's like, you know, you can't kill your demons because mm. they're as much a part of you as your angels. Yeah. You have to fuck your demons. You have, yeah. to, you have to learn to assimilate them and live with them. And at that point, they are acknowledged and they are registered and they become part of the whole rather than constantly um, clawing for attention. And I think that's, um, I think that's Kyle's arc in this. I think... Yeah midway through the movie he's trying to suppress the demon he's trying yeah. to kill it and it fucks him up yeah and it's only towards the end where he fully you know accepts that this is a part of who he is yeah and he can kind of you know quiet it and and, and move on yeah and get in and, and i think that's what the bug the, the bird eating the bug at the end is yeah. as well yeah 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 so um so also this is a scene that made me laugh heaps like once again we're in this really dark world and this made me laugh like an idiot which is his weird camera setup with the box it's like he's still playing oh, games yeah. do you know what I mean like he's yeah. still playing at being detective and yeah. he's that's uh, that was very funny. Mm. Um, Jeffrey goaded into hitting Dorothy, and then suddenly the flickering candle mm. finally goes out. Uh, and this, to me, is a moment he has to pay for, and he pays for it by being taken on the ride oh, with yeah. Frank. And 
that, that this is his comeuppance. He's he's now gone there, and now he has to be completely immersed in it. Yeah. Uh, let's before. By the way, being in that car that that looked like some <laughs> shit fucking road shows I've been on with comedians, <laughs> where you're sitting in the middle going, "Oh fuck, I hate everybody here." Yep. Um, how weirdly seductive and terrifying and strange is Suave Ben? Suave Ben, yeah, 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 uh, yeah. singing in dreams. Even the way he's dealing with Frank, which is yeah, like there's just. Like, there's never a moment in that scene where I don't think Suave uh, Ben could get punched. But I also feel that Suave Ben is in complete control. And yeah. it's, it's it's a funny thing to be going. I, like, I think he's in control, but he could get hit. Then he ends up punching Jeffrey, you know. Yeah, I think the, the part where he punches Jeffrey is, is, like, the most sinister part of that scene. Because up yes. until that moment, you're like, oh, he's like the lion tamer yeah. that is aware that he's with all these fucking unhinged animals. Yeah. But I think that there's there's a menace to him that Frank acknowledges. I don't think yeah. Frank ever would attack him. No, because there's something, there's the, something strange about him as well yeah. that's also, uh, like... The, there's a kinship between them, but his is manifested in a more well, theatrical kind of way yeah, or it's more artistic or something. Totally. And also, I think when I've been around scary dudes, yeah. a lot of the time it's that guy that's scarier than yeah, the guy yeah, yeah. screaming and carrying on. You know, yeah. the guy that's just really quiet. Yeah. You know, uh, he could fuck you up. Yeah, he's the one that hasn't said anything for an hour and then he says something and you go... Well, it's, you know, Jack Nance's character is a little bit like that as well. Like, you have Brad Dorif, who is quite clearly scary, and then you've just got Nance, who's just asking the same question over and over yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. And oh. When he just walks out and goes, my name is Pete. Oh, yeah. Ugh. Oh, Jesus. All right, Pete. Mm. No worries. Uh, Jeffrey punching Frank is an amazing moment as he finally reaches out beyond himself. But in the process, uh, I kind of feel like he's metaphorically murdered in the desert. Like, I, th- I feel like the old version of Jeffrey does not come back out no. of the desert. He's left there to die. And then he has to he has to find his way back to the living. Yeah. Um, I also think that he's not killed because Frank respects the fact that he got punched in the face. Oh, yeah. it's it's It maybe saved him. I think it's that. I think it's that thing where Frank's like, yeah, all right. You know, that's a pretty baller move. But he also, like, well, my question to you is what's worse, being punched in the gut or being kissed by Frank? Yeah. I feel like, I yeah, feel like the kissing. Like, yeah. the, the, like, terrific. Yeah, I feel like he's ha- like he, he's happier to keep him alive and let him deal with the psychological trauma than yeah. he is of shooting him, putting him out of his misery. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. The... Walking out of the desert reminded me once again of uh, Ronette Polanski mm. wandering on the bridge in Twin Peaks. Yeah. You know that uh, moment. Also, uh, you know who I'm fascinated with in that scene? The woman dancing on oh the roof of the God. car. Oh, my God. Like, what is happening? <laughs> like, what is happening? She's having a great time. Imagine like, imagine doing a Rosencrantz and Gilderstern version of this movie, but it's from her point of view, and it's just this really fun night. Oh, it's just, you know... And, I, and again, I've seen... I've seen very similar stuff. Yeah. Guys behaving really badly. Yeah. And people off to the side, just, you know, just another night. Just another night. By the way, I've only got a few more questions for you. Now that Jeffrey has been infected by the dark world, he can't quite escape it. Uh, So that's what you were talking about. He goes back to his life and he kind of tries to ignore Mm. everything that's happened. Um, He's changed, but he has to, he has to return. 
he has to return to that world because yeah. he has to reconcile it yeah. uh, and and accept the man that he has now become. Yeah. Uh, and he's be- grown up. Yeah, and it begins with the yellow man who reminds us that darkness is everywhere. Um, the, the yellow man kind of reminded me of the Robert W. Chambers uh, King in Yellow. I don't know what that is. Oh, so the King in Yellow is a, it's, uh, I think it was published in 1895. It's a series of short stories and the King in Yellow uh, lives in uh, Carcosa and H.P. Lovecraft kind of wrote stories and like kind of uh, added to this mythology. Uh, the King in Yellow is also a fictional in-universe play of the same name mm. and anyone who uh, reads it falls into deep despair and madness. Um and uh, people who might not be aware of that short story, uh, The King in Yellow and Carcosa were a big part of the first season of True Detective. Oh, right. Okay. So, hinting at the the supernatural world that was just right. beyond the reach. Yeah, sure. Um, by the way, uh, j- just as a, another little note, I love the way that when uh, Jeffrey returns to the real world and is trying to just get on with his life, he weirdly dresses as a suburban Don Johnson to do the watering. <laughs> like, what yeah, is that yeah, outfit? Yeah. yeah, with the sunglasses. <laughs> oh, man, it's so funny. But it's like, but it's also like, this is what I have to look like to be normal and fit in. And it's yeah. like, you haven't quite got it right because yeah, yeah, you're yeah. not actually fully back yet. No, well, he's still, he's, he's straddling both worlds. Yeah. And then we get uh, Sandy's ex chasing them through the streets of the suburbs, which culminates in Dorothy appearing. And it feels like um, that first part feels like the adolescent nightmare, mm. you know, of, you know, growing up in the fear and all of that stuff. And then, and then it comes face to face with the grown up real fear in, yeah. in Dorothy. Fascinating moment when Mike fucking flips, doesn't he? Yeah. He is ready to punch the shit out of Jeffrey, and he sees that, and then he's really apologetic. Yeah, <laughs> I'm really like, sorry. I'm it's really, really sorry. confronting for them. They're like, "Oh my lord, what? Yeah, yeah, what yeah. is that?" You know what that's based on, right? Uh, so the story about David Lynch. Yeah. Oh, I've got it in the Squid yeah, Bits, okay. so I'll throw good, that good, in good. there. Yeah, but yeah, I do know. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Little forward sell. Um, Jeffrey's actions also have an effect not just on him, but on Sandy as well. This is yes. the, this new reading I got of it. Uh, she is distraught. She slaps Jeffrey. Uh, but in the end, she welcomes him back. Mm. Uh, and that, that's what I mean. Like, she's very, even though she's the youngest character in it, she has a moral center that. Yeah. And has great capacity for understanding and forgiveness. Well, so, as I was saying before, I think that she, even though she hasn't directly experiences it, experienced this darkness that we keep talking about she understands that it exists yeah and somehow is able to assimilate it yeah much more organically than um jeffrey does and maybe i'm just trying to think but i'm thinking about the 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 males and the females in my life and that kind of tracks right most of the women I know are just very kind of, you know, pragmatic about how fucked up things are. And it's yeah. the guys that are the, oh, fucking, oh, yeah, yeah, shit, yeah. everything's so fucked up. Well, you know, it's like, um, you know, women get their periods and have mm. to deal with bleeding from a young age mm. uh, every month. Mm-hmm. And guys, balls drop. And the worst thing they have to deal with <laughs> is that, yeah, their voice is a bit and, and they accidentally come with a bit of fabric accidentally touches the end of their penis yeah yeah yeah. well i mean i talk when i was talking before about my grandmother that was yeah. very much the you know my grand oh, like i'm very much I, I'm, I'm i'm pretty pretty much both of them in a lot of ways yeah but he was 
like hyper cynical and yeah. you know we'd sit there watching tv and like look at that fucking idiot meh, yeah. meh, meh. and she was this just ray of sunshine yeah uh and you know for most of my life i very much thought that she was maybe naive mm. or even a little bit kind of like i don't know just like he's not seeing the way things are mm. and it was after he passed and she stuck around for another year and a half and it was after that that i was like oh no you've always seen it mm. yeah you've always known it yeah you've always been very aware of yeah. the, f- the the shit and the darkness in the world you just made the conscious choice yeah. to assimilate it and not allow it to consume you. Yeah. Well, Sandy, once again, getting back to that first time they watched Dorothy, she recognises what's going on immediately, yeah. even if she can't articulate it. Yeah. And uh, I think maybe she accepts Jeffrey back because she realises that he has been infected and he has been... Like, he, he needs to be slapped. He needs to be told yeah. off he needs to yeah. have a, a reconciliation with his actions which mm. he is like I, I think he i i think he immediately is much more mature in that moment oh yeah than but he's, they, he's they, they both are. i mean she's amazing you know because I, I i'd completely forgotten how that scene panned out yeah so my first assumption was oh she's gonna you know start getting pissed off right and rah, rah, rah. And she clearly is, but she also understands that this situation takes precedence right now. And even though it's a woman who she's never met before, she has no emotional connection to, it's clearly someone in a lot of fucking trouble. And this situation needs to be taken care of before her emotion can take the front seat. And I I don't really even get the impression that he's sleeping with Sandy. I think he's... I think that's still very uh, first steps platonic maybe turning into yeah, a relationship yeah, yeah, absolutely. yeah um while the detectives raid frank's headquarters jeffrey returns to dorothy's apartment to find her husband dead and the yellow man mortally wounded i can't quite how did that happen i, do, I, I, I don't know and i don't like, know either i was thinking i was trying to think I, I, during the scene i was like trying to think about it and i was like you know what it doesn't matter no it doesn't it's matter it's just fucking weird it's just weird <laughs> it's so weird it's so strange the way the husband is dead and the way he's positioned but then yeah. the dude just kind of still standing there yeah, rocking back uh, and forth that reminded me of the black lodge as well yeah. you know that even the composition of the mm. shot mm. Uh, oh god it's so with that tiny little bit of brain hanging out of yeah, his head just yeah. not you know really unpleasant and it, the way he starts vomiting blood when Jeffrey takes the gun out it's yeah. just like the guy's really fucked up oh my and lord it's like you know what's even what, what's keeping him standing yeah <laughs> it's nice to see um uh it's nice to see a movie where the hero, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, thinks his way out of the problem yeah. as well. And yeah. it's a, um, it kind of reminds you that this is not a dumb kid. Yeah. Like he's, you know, he's got some nous to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, in the end he has to, he literally has to exterminate him, mm-hmm. you know, to, to be able to move forward. Yeah. Uh, Finally, in the end, we have Jeffrey waking up from his dream back in suburbia. He has returned from this adventure a new person, and he is complete. Uh, in the end, Jeffrey has progressed from asking, why are there people like Frank? Why is there so much trouble in this world? To, it's a strange world, isn't it? <laughs> Which, for me, sums everything up. Yep, uh, it is a strange world. So he goes from, he just, he just gets it. <laughs> And while Dorothy is reunited with her son, we do see a very strange Robin <laughs> holding a bug in its beak. Yeah. And uh, I think, you know, you've already touched on this. It's like, no matter how idyllic the world is, there's going to be something gross and you can deal with it. 
but you have to deal with it. You have to deal with it. Aunt Dor- I, 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 is it Aunt Rebecca? Aunt Dor- whoever the aunt is, her reaction to that is so fucking funny. Oh, yeah. Ugh, I'd never eat a bug. Yeah, so funny. <laughs> Such a funny moment. All of it. But the way Dorothy hugs her kid at the end, and then there's the joy of the uh, reuniting. Yeah. But there's also that grief, and I think it's that grief of the realization of the innocence of this kid. Yeah. Is it, as as it was with Jeffrey, as it is with all people, is temporary. Yeah. And there will come a time where this kid has to go through his, his version of what yeah. we've just seen. Well, you you know that there's something that kid's dealt with tra- trauma because when she goes in to see him, and we don't see anything that mm. happens, but you hear, and he is rejecting his mother, and that is. Yeah. Uh, but the 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 the. the, the, the you know, one of the tragic things about kids and, and trauma is how easy it is for them to be in the moment. So a lot of the time when the trauma is over, it, it there's there's a resetting back into that kid-like way of being. Yeah. But it doesn't mean the trauma is gone. It's a postponement of. Yeah. And so there will be an age where it kicks yeah. back in or kicks in and, and you know... And that it, it will it have must to be, be dealt, dealt with. with. Yeah. 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 Um, okay, some squid bits. David Lynch on curtains. This mm-hmm. is a fun quote. I don't know where it came from, but I love curtains. There is something cosmically magical about <laughs> curtains opening and revealing a new world. It resonates on a deep level with people. Mm-hmm. Red curtains, is that also a representation of the vagina? Is that yeah, the, kind of what that is also? Mm-hmm. Um So the film's story originated from three ideas that crystallized in the filmmaker's mind over a period of time, starting as early as 1973. So the first idea was only a feeling, and the title Blue Velvet. So that's where the first site, he just had a feeling that he wanted to explore. Uh, The second idea was an image of a severed human ear lying in a field. Uh, And he said, um, I don't know why it had to be an ear except it needed to be an opening of a part of the body, a hole into something else. The ear sits on the head and goes right into the mind, so it felt perfect. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, The third idea was Bobby Vinton's classic rendition of the song Blue Velvet, which he he did not like. As a kid, he it wasn't rock and roll. That was yeah, right. like, he was just not into that. But uh, the rendition of the song "Blue Velvet" and the mood that comes with that song, a mood, a time, and things that were of that time. So that's kind okay. of how the movie comes about. So this is what you were about to say. Uh, this uh, just a couple of minutes ago, the scene in which Dorothy appears naked outside was inspired by a real life experience Lynch had during childhood when he and his brother saw a naked woman walking down a neighborhood street at night. The experience was so traumatic to the young Lynch that it made him cry and he had never forgotten it. And, and, and I think that this entire movie, he, you know, I think Kyle McLaughlin is David Lynch in this movie. Yes. Yeah. I think this, I think this whole movie is him exploring yeah. that yeah. moment yeah. And, and, and the moment that we've referenced in our own lives and throughout yes. this entire recording. So it's funny. So Lynch said of Jeffrey, Carl is dressed like me. Hmm. My father was a research scientist for the Department of Agriculture in Washington. We were in the woods all the time. I'd sort of had enough of the woods by the time I left, but still lumber and lumberjacks, all this kind of thing. That's America to me, like the picket fences and the roses in the opening shot. Hmm. It's so burned in that image and it makes me feel so happy. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 you know, just, just to uh, put a tag in that, I also think that this movie sums up Lynch's entire relationship with the dark. Yeah. You know, uh, that, that he obviously is, very, it's obviously in him. Yeah. Big time. 
uh, but he has assimilated it. And, you know, you hear stories from this, um, again, that interview with Dennis Hopper is so funny where he's like, hey, Dennis, you got to say this word. And Dennis was like, what, fuck? And he's like, yeah, you got to say that word. And Dennis yeah. is like laughing, going, he wrote the script, but he can't even bring himself yeah. to say fuck. You yeah. know, he's, he, but he's got to this point in his life where he'd rather say, peachy king. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, what's the, off the top of your head, what's, what's the weirdest thing that you've ever seen? Oh. So I'll tell you mine. On uh, the first day of this century i was in sydney and uh, i'd come up here with fred and mickey d and craig egan we'd come up here for new year's eve and we went down and we watched the uh, uh limo had uh gotten us tickets to this exclusive party yeah. and uh, we went to the party and there was meant to be 600 people there and I reckon there was like 25 turned up mm. and it was great because mm. that meant we had it all to ourselves and we had all the bar to ourselves yeah. anyway the next morning when we were walking back to where we were staying I remember uh, we were walking down uh, up around uh, somewhere up around what, what, what's not King's Cross but what's just before that oh, um Fuck, I know. I, I know. The yeah, area. but anyway, around that area, and as we were walking along, we walked past. Uh, it was in the middle of the street, and there was uh, a man covered in lots of scabs, like all yeah. over his arms and his face, and he was standing there. And there was a person. I don't know if it was a man or a woman to this day, uh, who was missing one leg and was kind of in tattered clothes, and he was looking down at her or him and pointing, not in a nasty way, but just kind of, and they were having some conversation and they looked at us and, you know, when you see something and you look for a little bit too long and then you immediately feel like you saw something that you shouldn't see. And then I turned my gaze away and left. And then that has haunted me. Like, just like, my, like sometimes like three or four years without thinking about yeah. it and then I'll have a dream where I remember that is. very specific moment and I still to this day yeah, right. don't know what it was. Right. Uh, the, the, uh, off the top of my head, the weird... <laughs> well, the weirdest thing I've ever seen is a UFO, but that's a story for another time. Yeah. Uh, uh, but the, the most random weird thing I've ever seen is one morning, it was about 7 a.m., and uh, it was when I, <laughs> it's when I used to do children's birthday parties. So me and my offsider were driving towards some park to do a thing seven o'clock in the morning and walking down (laughs) walking down the street was a guy in a full head to toe leather gimp suit with the zipper for the mouth open drinking a can of vb great and i instinctively leaned out the window and went yeah and he just saluted me and gave me the thumbs up (laughs) right well it makes sense that would have been hot i hope that vb was cold (laughs) but 7 a.m 7 7 a.m. on a Saturday morning, just and, and he was so jaunty, just like yeah, doo, boo, doo, boo, boo. yeah. yeah he had the <laughs> he had the Jeffrey Beaumont music in his head <laughs> as he was walking along. Uh, Lynch spent two years writing the first two drafts, but didn't believe they were very good. He said that the problem was there was all the unpleasantness in the film, but nothing else. Mm. A lot was not there, and so he had so it went away for a while. Uh, when Lynch met producer Richard Roth, he asked the director if he had any other scripts. Lynch had only had ideas and said. I told him I had always wanted to sneak into a girl's room to watch her into the night and that maybe at one point or another I would see something that would be the clue to a murder mystery. And that's 
It's the most perverted yet wholesome thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, at the start of it, you're like, where is this going? Oh, murder mystery. Oh, yeah, you are Jeffrey. Yeah. 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 I just, yeah, Yeah. what's this strangeness? Uh, Lynch had made a deal with Dino De Laurentiis that he could make a movie with complete artistic freedom and final cut privileges. But in return, he had to take a cut in salary and only work with a budget of six million. And he was so down after Dune, Mm. this situation was like a moment of euphoria for him. He was so happy. Uh, Isabella Rossellini was dropped by her agents after they saw a test screening of the movie. Right. Also, the nuns at the school in Rome that she attended in her youth called to say that they were praying for her. <laughs> have, uh, you, have you heard the um, uh, Ebert review of this? Oh, I've got, yeah, I've good, got a little good, bit of that, yep, yeah. Uh, Lynch said of Kyle MacLachlan, Kyle plays innocents who are interested in the mysteries of life. He's the person you trust enough to go into a strange world with. Yeah. Because he, he needs to be a bit strange to allow you to get in there yeah, if course. he's too straight. and uh, it's Well, I think if he's too straight, his reaction would be too... Uh, straight. Yeah. Well, and also, I think he would be too discombobulated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to even proceed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Harry Dean Stanton and Stephen Burkhoff both turned down the role of Frank because of the violent content in the film. Michael Ironside has stated that Frank was written with him in mind and you go, oh, yeah, I could see mm-hmm. Michael Ironside. Uh, Hopper accepted the role and said, I've got to play Frank. I am Frank. Um <laughs> How's this for a... Uh, I'll fuck anything that moves! <laughs> um, Molly Ringwald read for the part of Sandy. That's interesting, oh, isn't yeah, it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like, would she have been... Oh, I wonder where her career would have been at. Would she have made Pretty in Pink or that by then? It's an interesting... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a, suddenly a different career for Molly Ringwald. Yeah, yeah, Maybe yeah. doesn't have that earlier... Flush of success, or maybe who knows? But anyway, it's like I think Laura Dern's perfect, but it's, perfect. A, it's it's an interesting yeah, definitely. What if? Uh, can, can I can I give a quick squid bit about Dennis Hopper's? Yes, uh, have please. You, have, have you got the one about the um the nitrous? Oh yes, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, no, I left that towards the end because it was too funny. Uh, the original cut of the film was four hours. Oh come on. Uh, film critic Mark Commode walked out of the film and gave it a poor review when it was released. Really? But over time, revised his review. He said, It taught me when a film really gets under your skin and really provokes a visceral reaction, you have to be very careful about assessing it. Yes. I didn't walk out on Blue Velvet because it was a bad film. I walked out because it was a really good film. The point was, at the time, I wasn't good enough for it. Yes. I fucking... Love Mark Commode. He's my yep. favourite film reviewer. He's yeah. fucking great. I respect that as well. Like, yep. you know, like we've we've both had the same reactions yep. to movies. Like, under the skin. Yeah, under the skin. Like uh, this movie. I just I, you know I yeah. started this whole conversation saying I fucking didn't like it. The last Coppola film. Yeah, <laughs> like fuck. I was, people heard me spin on a dime. But if, if people listening to this, if you want to, if you want a reliably great film reviewer, Mark Commode is yeah. fantastic. Yeah, he's really, really good. thoughtful film reviews. Uh, scenes that were cut included the first introduction of Jeffrey watching what could be a potential date rape from the shadows of a grungy basement. Really? This scene would have answered Sandy's question, are you a detective or a pervert? Because Jeffrey steps in to stop it. Right. So while he is curious, he does have a moral backbone. Yeah. Uh, I think that comes across. But I think that comes across... Well, I think it comes across better yeah. in when he punches Frank, when he, yeah. even though he's in so much trouble, yeah. he can't help but... He's basically do- signing his death warrant when he punches Frank in the head. Yeah, yeah. But he, he does it anyway. But he's... We can't even... It's not, I don't think he's even in control. I think no, he just no, no. It. He's just so stressed about what's happening yeah, to her. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
There was also a girlfriend at college that Jeffrey tries to stay in touch with, but that doesn't work out so well over the course of the movie. Lots of phone calls and that. That's a good oh, thing to good. lose. Uh, Jeffrey's mother, Mrs. Beaumont, tries to pressure Jeffrey into staying home for good. In the deleted scenes, she is seen as overprotective and manipulative. Aunt Barbara is convinced the house is infested with termites and leaves the bodies of the insects that she kills for Jeffrey. So, which makes that line even funnier at the end. Aunt Barbara, she's the old lady that Jerry Seinfeld steals the yeah. marble rye from. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there was also a scene where Jeffrey and Sandy wait for Dorothy to perform, and there is a surreal image of a terrier eating from his bowl on stage. <laughs> I don't know what that would have represented, but it's funny. Uh, the actor Robert uh, Logia, I think that's how you pronounce his last name, L-O-G-G-I-A, expressed interest in playing the role of Frank Booth. He showed up for an audition unaware that Hopper had already been cast. He waited for three hours and upon seeing Lynch and learning of Hopper's casting, he launched into a profanity-laden rant that remained in Lynch's head for years. Then in 1997, Lynch cast Logia as Mr. Eddie in Lost Highway and his awesome. tirade was incorporated into the scene when he beats up a tailgater in a fit Great. of road rage. Great. Great. I know exactly what you're talking about as well. Great yeah, scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then finally, the gas that Frank Booth inhales is controversial because in the script, Lynch specified helium to raise <laughs> Frank's voice and have it resemble an infant. Hopper, though, an experienced drug taker, said that helium was inappropriate. Yeah. And uh, like he literally was saying to him, yeah. You know, I know what fucking drugs this guy's taking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so in a documentary, uh, Hopper claims the drug was amyl nitrate. Yes, but I, I watched an interview with him where he, he started musing, going, maybe maybe we should have just left it as helium. It would have been a lot more terrifying. Daddy wants to fuck. Well, <laughs> like, yeah. He's not high at all. Yeah. Like, he's just doing it to freak yeah. someone out with his fucked up voice. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's high on helium. Mate. What a movie. What a great movie. What a fucking grubby podcast. Yeah. But this is when you first suggested, uh, when we were talking about who we were going to uh, look into after Sophia Coppola's films, and you said, it's a fucking weird, mm. grubby time of life, so we should do David Lynch. And mm. it feels like, here we are. We're Fuck ready man, to go. I think, I think it's great. And much like this movie, I think it's actually really important to, yeah. you know, I know people who avoid thinking about yuck stuff and they're not well-balanced people yeah <laughs> i'm not saying i am yeah but you know there's this kind of like uh sick desperation in the in the way they laugh and the way they talk that's like oh, i just think you need to maybe just watch a fucked up movie now and then just to kind of get it out of your system well that's this is uh this is part of the frustration with the uh movie industry at the moment <laughs> which is because the only things that make money are you know hmm. The, the usual fare that we've banged on about. And watching these kinds of movies allows you to tap into these uh, thoughts and these ideas mm. and e explore these feelings without having to go through what Jeffrey goes through. Yeah, it's a safe way. It's, like, it's the same as horror movies. You yeah. know, you get to experience an extreme emotion in yeah. a very, very safe way. Yeah. Uh, and it's as valid as joy or happiness or any emotion. Like, yeah. these are all aspects of the psyche. You know, and when you see interviews with David Lynch and, and you know, and, and, and his contemporaries, the way they talk about him, they all say he's the most zen, yeah. happy person ever. Yeah. There's an interview on the Blu-ray with Isabella Rosalini who's just saying, oh, he's... 
completely serene. Everyone yeah. thinks that he's this really fuck. Is he on drugs? Is he fucked up? And she's like, I've never met a more zen person in my life. Yeah. Because he just gets it out of his system. You gets know? it out. Yeah. <laughs> Don't keep it in. Get it out, people. Get it out. Thank you to Ben Elwood for helping me discuss this brilliant movie. It is great to finally have it out there for you. The next David Lynch movie will be the European standalone version of Twin Peaks. You know how I was talking about it at the uh, start of the podcast where Battlestar Galactica took some of their episodes and made movies for the rest of the world in case the series never got there. David Lynch did the same thing with Twin Peaks. And if you haven't seen this version of the Twin Peaks world before, you're in for a real treat. And what's interesting is Ben hadn't seen it before either. So you'll have someone that you can relate to in the discussion. Remember, I'll be back with Ben this Thursday when we give you a little taste of his new podcast. Thank God for David Attenborough. And then if you're on Patreon, you will get the bonus episode on Friday and uh, you'll be able to, uh, actually everyone will be able to access the Watchmen script on Wednesday. If you'd like to be a part of the Big Squid community, head over to patreon.com forward slash Justin Hamilton underscore Big Squid and you will find a tier that suits you. If uh, you're looking for something else but money is tight and I do understand that money is tight, check out bigsquidpod.com which will take you to my website and you can find some of my blogs there as well. I've just revamped the site. It is looking great. The artwork by Andrea Beatrice on the landing page is unbelievable. Like, genuinely unbelievable. I can't get over how fantastic it is. So there should be a new blog up tomorrow morning, so check that out. If you need something other than Wordle to take up some time in your day. I'm not dissing Wordle. I was pushing against it, and now I'm in, and I'm really enjoying it. Had a struggle today. Got it on the final line. Didn't need to be that hard, but I somehow wasn't really concentrating, and I made it much harder than it had to be. Anyway, enough about word all. Let's finish today's podcast with a quote from the brilliant Isabella Rossellini. True elegance for me is the manifestation of an independent mind. Until then. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want truly hydrated skin? Meet Osea's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.